What's going on, everybody? Cali Death Podcast back once again, another Thursday, uh, episode 31. Now, uh, this one's a very episode special 30. one. Oh, it is 30. Shit. 30. <laughs> it's cool. <laughs> I'm already <laughs> skipping ahead. It's cool. It's cool. So it's episode 30. I mean, we're all sets, excited about this. Three one, sets so. of 10. That's fucking a good number of podcasts we got going now. And uh, we've been reaching around the world a little bit with these. And now we're reaching really around the world to fucking down under Australia. We're bringing Dave Haley from Psychroptic on. I got my homies, Joel, Joseph, and Casey with me, and we're going to get into some fucking Australian brutal technical shredding death metal. Fuck yeah. What's going on, Dave? How you going, guys? Thanks for the uh, stellar introduction. No problem, <laughs> dude. I mean, it's, it's, it, you deserve it. I mean, fuck, dude. It's Psychroptic. Come on, guys. <laughs> <laughs> We're trying to get by we're just a band <laughs> but dude so let's uh i mean do we just let's let's get an introduction a little bit like what's it like in in australia like l- growing up in australia was it like a populated area that you're in or more you know spread out i want to know all that stuff too because i mean i know that there's like pockets and stuff over there so i where are you from so originally from tasmania uh uh, I live in Melbourne now, which is one of the more populous cities. Very cool city. Uh, yeah. But I grew up in Tasmania, lived there for like 28 years. Um, beautiful part of the world. How far is that from Melbourne? It's, it's about an hour flight. Oh, so it's okay. an island. It's, it's that little triangular island at the bottom of Australia, yeah. the mainland of Australia. So, yeah. Awesome part of the world. Um, but growing up there, you don't realize how amazing the place is until you leave. Mm-hmm. And then you travel around the world and you're like, yeah, I was pretty lucky to grow up there. <laughs> totally. I mean, it's, it's, it's like, yeah. It, well, not only that, dude, it's like you guys are so like, you know, secluded. That's, that's kind of like you were saying that, you know, you don't really re- realize where you're at until you leave and people, you know, talk about the place that you grew up in it's totally kind of yeah. i mean not the same thing i'm comparing my city to your country but i brought people to my hometown and they've re- made made me re-realize you know the beauty in my town too so it's like you you get uh what is it i i can't think of the word but you just get used to being in your environment you know yeah it, this is familiar. Kinda, it doles it out a little bit if you're there all the time you know like yeah, I'd exactly. love to be, I'd love to be in Hawaii all the time, but then people say they get island fever when they move out there for six months, you know? Yeah. 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 I totally get that. Um, I, last year, well, sorry, last year didn't really exist. So the year before <laughs> mm-hmm. 2019, um, we did that. We went and visited a, um, a small town that I grew up in. It's like a town of 2000 people. And when you're a kid, it's boring. But you go yeah. back with a little bit of perspective. You're like, everywhere you look, it just looks like a postcard. It's fucking amazing. <laughs> um, so it's it's definitely hindsight, you know, realizing okay, that was that was a pretty cool, pretty special childhood. Um, very very fortunate. So yeah, cool. Tasmania. It's um, when you so can travel. You, there, you were there travel. until 28. You said. Yeah, around then. I think I moved to Melbourne around 2008. 
thereabouts. Um, so Psychoptic is definitely a Tasmanian band. Always, yeah. I was be. just that's where I was just going to go with it. Like it obviously started in Tasmania. Yeah, yeah. Um, Hobart, Tasmania, which is the capital city. It's about I think two hundred and fifty thousand, three hundred thousand people. So a pretty small, but again, a very beautiful city. Um, the other guys, oh, two of the other guys are there, Joe and Pepo. And uh, our bass player, Todd Stern, actually lives in New Jersey. Oh, no shit. Oh, wow. So we're definitely spread out. <laughs> so, all right. So let's, uh, let's take it back to uh, the beginning of, you know, when things got serious for you. What, what's your musical background? What was your buildup to Cyprocoptic? Let's hear all that. Okay, well, I guess if we took it right back for, to where I started playing the drums. The beginning, dude. We like the yeah, beginning. Yeah, right back. Yeah. Um, so I went to a small country town school. So there was 200 kids from kindergarten to grade 10. So wow, very, very small. Yeah. Um, and as part of, I guess, the the general curriculum music was compulsory, which in hindsight, again, it's pretty cool that you know, yeah. it's mandatory that you got to do music. Um, so there was, yeah, probably 16, 15, 16 kids in my class. Uh, and in grade seven, when, when music became mandatory, uh, I actually originally started out playing guitar um, and had aspirations for a few weeks of being a rock star on guitar <laughs> until um, I guess I became the tr- class drummer by default because basically it was a, a class band. Um, our music teacher lined everyone up, put a, actually played a straight eight in front of us, just a straight eight rock beat, ACDC beat, and handed sticks to everyone. And she's like, well, Whoever can get this, you know, whoever can mimic it, hold this beat, yeah, mimic it is you're the drummer. So I think I was probably third or fourth in line and managed to somehow emulate what she was doing. It's mm-hmm. like, okay, cool. Well, now you you play drums, and that was it. So, wow. So how long were you playing? Did you? But you still stuck with guitar while you were doing that too, right? Um. Yeah. Yes and no. Uh, I wish I had a stuck with it like um, properly, but mm-hmm. it, it just faded. It just faded away. Um, but yeah, drumming for the first couple of years was just something I did in in class because it's mandatory. And what so, age are you at at this time? So it would have been probably eleven. So from age eleven to thirteen, it was just something I did two times a week at school. I didn't really. What's, what's the age distance difference between you and Joe? Uh, Joe is two years younger. Okay. So was, he went through kind of the same. Yeah. So I guess as, as soon as I started playing drums um, and got a little bit more serious, I, th- I think I got my first drum kit when I was 13. Um, then it was like, well, I need someone to play with. So, okay, Joe, you're going to play guitar and we'll start a band. So that's pretty much what happened. So in some yeah, some respects, I kind of strong armed him into playing guitar because <laughs> I wanted someone to jam with. The older brother, like, you better learn, dude. So, like, okay, this is what you're doing. 
Uh, and he took, yeah, he took to guitar, um, obviously pretty well. Fuck yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I guess I, I started taking the drums a little bit more seriously around 14, 15. That's when I started to get drum lessons. So as soon as we made the move, because we're in the country town, um, once we moved up to the, the city, uh, then I had access to you know, more teachers and actually watching other people play and realising you can do more than just a straight eight on the drums. Mm-hmm. Before then, it was just like, okay, we just hold this rock beat and that's what we do. So um, what's it like? Was, was jamming happening as soon as you guys got home from school and shit? Like um, throw, throw your book bags across the room, grab your instruments and start jamming? Yeah. Later on, yes. Yeah. Um, earlier on, it was just, you know, it was just on the weekends, you know. Um, mm-hmm. It was an incremental um, I'm struggling to find the right word. Uh, it's all good. I was going to say it was a ramp. It was a slow ramp up. It wasn't like, you know, we were practicing eight hours a day from the get go. Exponential. Uh, yeah. There you go. There you go. Um, yeah. It was at first, it was kind of okay, something we did on the weekends, which is jammed. And, and then probably around, you know, 16, 17, it was like, okay, we should probably start to do something a bit more serious. Um, so were you guys, let's just take it back one couple or just a little bit. Were you guys discovering music together and into the same music at that time as well? Yeah, pretty much. Pretty feeding much. off each other. Basically, you know, you discover something, throw it at him. He discovers something, throwing it at you. Yeah. Um, initially, I guess we, we had access to the same, um, music so to speak you know this is pre-internet pre-spotify youtube yeah you're only getting you're getting exposed to the music if you go to the local music store and ask them to put the cd on and they play it over the speakers that's that's kind of that was literally how it went so you you'd listen to the album for like 30 seconds a day yeah i think i like it um and you'd buy the album Mm mm-hmm and you know, you spend your thirty bucks on the, the CD, and you're kind of committed to it. So you, you're going to listen to it. Um, you know, even if you hate it on the, the first go through, you're going to really try to get into albums. What's can you um, remember the first album that you were in the stores and you're like, "Holy shit, dude! I gotta buy this!" And then you went home and you're like, "This is the best purchase I ever made." Um. Yeah, it was actually probably. The self-titled a Bremelin album. Um, oh, oh, I was definitely, oh, I was into heavy music, um, but just getting into death metal and Australian band of Bremelin. And so it was 95. And I remember going into Rare Groove Records, which was on the main street, Elizabeth Street in Hobart. It was the only store in town that had underground music. Nice. They played yeah played the first track and I'm like okay this i don't know what it is this is kind of scaring me this is full on but i, I think i need to get this um, <laughs> um and that was that was yeah that was one of the re- releases that really did changed. you guys know anybody older than you that was feeding stuff to you or were you just discovering it all on your own um initially discovering it on our own you know there was a, a nationally syndicated radio show um called 
three hours of power once a week. Nice. Um, so we'd sit there with the cassette deck and just record it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, so we had all these cassettes of our own little compilations that we got from the radio and just got discovering bands like that. Um, so there's no, it was a little bit later on that, you know, you start to meet a couple of people. It's like, oh, you're into this crazy stuff called death metal. Yeah. Um, and then there was, you know, a few of the older dudes like, well, okay, here's some, here's some compilation tapes. So I guess it wasn't traditional, you know, tape trading. Um, it was kind of, I guess, the the next version from that where it's uh, people are making you comp- their own little compilations, and that's how you you're discovering bands. It's not we like it, we we just call them mixtapes out. Yeah, yeah mixtapes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. So people are making you mixtapes, and you're finding bands out from that. Um, and that's yeah, that's kind of how it all started. Sweet, dude. It so, blows my mind, like how you know we have to find some. I mean, we get those mixtapes and stuff here, but we're like have such easier access than Australia, and and the fact that you guys were getting it in like ninety five, ninety six, just completely blows my mind. Like that's blows my mind too. Like, uh, that was going to be like one of my main questions, asking you, like how in Australia, Tasmania, how do you how do you locate this kind of music? Because people even you know um, around here in California, where it's easy easily accessible, we have you know the states, we have the Florida scene you know, the California scene, stuff like that. You were, you managed through this. So it was through the radio station is where this yeah. all came to fruition. Primarily. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, it's just before the internet was really accessible to everyone. Um, but we're still getting the underground magazines um, and you're hearing band names around, you're seeing logos around, you know, we're still getting some of the, you know, the magazines, metal maniacs, the terrorizers, um, stuff like that. So you're hearing about these bands. Um, it's not as though, you know, we weren't completely isolated. You did have to look a little bit harder. But um, I think most most cities had those one or two stores or, um, you know, that got a lot of the underground stuff. In. And there was quite a few mail orders, um, you know, there was Modern Invasion Records, which was bringing in a lot of stuff. Um, uh, what was Blue, it? The Blue. Hammer House, Warhouse, Warhead Records. Um, there was a bunch of distros around that were our go-to sources as well. So you'd buy stuff based on descriptions and based on features members of, and like you'd see, you know, a picture of Cannibal Corpse wearing, you know, the dudes in Cannibal Corpse wearing, you know, whatever, a Disgorge T-shirt or a band that you've never heard of and you're like, wow, that they, they must be sick. So it, there was a lot of getting influenced by other, you know, peer group members and, you know, other bands that we looked up to and stuff like that. So we weren't completely cut off. And at the time you think you got the, your finger on the pulse. Like it wasn't like we were starved for access to music. Um, because we didn't know any better. It's like we thought we we thought we were, you know, totally had our fingers on the 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 underground pulse. Um, totally, definitely didn't feel left out at all. Can you oh, yeah. can you talk a little bit about like the history of death metal in Australia that you're aware of, and kind of what happened before you guys entered the scene? 
Okay, yeah. Um, it, it stretches yeah, pretty far back into the mid-80s where you've got bands like Sadistic Execution um, who, you know, they're legendary and infamous. Um, bands like Armored Angel, um, I think, you know, that's as far back as 84, that sort of thing. So definitely a strong scene throughout the 80s um, that were quite influential, uh, not just death metal, but um, all genres and all the subgenres. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess my knowledge and my interests came into it around the, you know, the mid nineties. Cause that's when I started to discover it. So that, that for me is, uh, I guess the, the magical Australian sound where it's bands like damaged, Bremelin, blood duster, manticore. Blood duster, fuck yeah, dude. Yeah. <laughs> Way down with blood duster. <laughs> me too. Me too. Um, I was lucky enough to play with those guys for a while. Oh, actually in the band. In the band, yeah, in the band. Nice, dude. What, did you do? Um, some, did you do some live shit with them? Yeah, yeah, um, a lot. I did a lot of sh- lot of shows with them. Uh, Maryland Death Fest played twice with Blood Duster. Nice, um, dude. Um, okay, I didn't even yeah, know that. Uh, I've been very fortunate in. Uh, I've been able to play in and with some of, you know, the bands that I wrote letters to as a kid. Um, recently I joined a Bremelin, which was like hands down one of the most influential bands of me as, as in my formative uh, years getting into the genre. So it's pretty surreal. That is fucking cool, dude. I, I mean, every, every young death metal or metal head, just musician in general to have somebody that they look up to in the beginning of it that, you know, was, the one who was at the gates to let them in. And then you're in the band now, later on in your life, you're like, wait, it's ridiculous. Yeah. The journey that I just took now (laughs) that felt so natural. Just me being me took me to this spot in this spot. Now, you know, it's fucking, that's killer, dude. Yeah. Yeah. So it was, I'm always um, just, yeah. Surprised and very appreciative of, all of the um the cool shit I've been able to do. Yeah. Hell yeah. Uh, but going so, back to your question about um yeah, I guess uh, uh, Australian death metal bands. Um mm. yeah, like the I guess pre-internet and pre-affordable um travel the Australian scene was somewhat cut off. So it really did develop its own sound. It's got, it's got a quite distinctive sound. If you listen, um, listen to the, you know, all those leaders in the genre are very distinctive. They, there's no real copycat sounds and they don't sound like each other. You know, a band like uh, Bramelin sounds different from Damage, who sounds different from Destroyer 666 who again sounds different from Beastie Warlust and Sadistic Execution. So um, it was very, very original. Um, that, that's what I would say would be the, um, 
the uh, it's the isolation of where you guys are in the first place and then you isolate even more into this little bubble and you kind of just like you make your own shit right there and then eventually expands out and you realize oh nobody else is really doing this totally and i think it's seen within scenes you know australia is isolated in itself um and each city is isolated from each other you know melbourne is 10 hours drive away from sydney and melbourne you know the other way is eight hours to adelaide uh, and there's not too much you know there's small smaller towns but there's no cities in between um so i think that did have somewhat of a big effect on the developments of um the originality in a lot of the bands totally yeah yeah all right, so let's get back to uh, you and Joe and and starting to get serious about Psychroptic, or was that even the first name of it? And and did you were you guys playing other styles of metal before you actually leaned on the the style that Psychroptic has been known for? Pre Psychroptic, we had a band called Disseminate, and that was our our first extreme metal band. Um, Listening back to it now, I think there's there's a lot more of a black metal, well, unintentional black metal influence and sound to disseminate. Um, and we we did that band for I think a year or eighteen months. Um, at the time, you know, it felt like the band was together for eons. We did a lot of shows in Hobart. Um, you know, we'd play. You know, at least once a month, pro- probably more. And so that was our, I guess, our first uh, first real metal band where we were actually out there gigging. Um, so I would have been 17, 18, and Joe would have been like 14, 15 at the time. Wow. Uh, and then we started to write music. It was a little bit more technical um, the other guys in Disseminate weren't that stoked with it, you know, fair enough. So we, for a while we had both bands going. Um, we wrote most of the material for the first album, first Psychoptic album, um, All the Disenchantment. That would have been personal favorites. favorites. That's actually the first one I listened to. Uh, a lot of people say scepters was where they i i literally heard aisles like a couple of weeks before scepters was coming out oh, somebody wow. had turned me on to aisles and i had just started getting uh familiar with it and then scepters came out and or i heard it on a compilation uh one of the songs on a compilation and i was just like oh shit this band is somebody we really need to fucking pay attention to <laughs> that's sick yeah yeah, so, I mean, that was all Isle, independent. The aisle was all, yeah. yeah, yeah. We recorded that in uh, two days, something like that. Um, all live, you know, one or two takes. Um, you know, drums and guitar live, and then we overdubbed another guitar. Um, we didn't have much money. It was like, yeah, I think the the studio bill was fourteen hundred bucks in the end. Um. 
and we didn't know whether it was like, oh, let's just release it as a demo tape. It was just supposed to be a demo tape. Mm-hmm. Um, but then, you know, because you, you're doing it yourself, you're getting printing prices and all that fun stuff. And so, well, you know, it's not that much more expensive to get the CDs. Yeah. Why don't we just put it on CD? And that was literally the logic. Um, so 100% self-released. Um, How'd you link up with all the other guys like Chalky? Uh, Chalky, he grew up in a, a town up north, you know, about four hours away from Hobart. And he just moved down. Um, he actually, we met him when we were gigging with Disseminate. You know, he came along to a gig and we just hit it off because we're into this same sort of music. Um, and it was, it was pretty much as simple as, oh, you do death metal vocals. We've got a death metal band that we're just starting. Do you want to do vocals? Yeah, cool. Mm-hmm. Um, and Cam, who played bass, he was like, oh, we need a bass player. And Joe was like, oh, there's this cool guy at my school, Cam. I heard him play a Morbid Angel riff. Um, I was like, oh, let's get him on bass. And that was, yeah. that was it. <laughs> So nice. no, no crazy audition process or any of that sort of stuff. That's like literally all it takes sometimes like back, like, you know, when you're younger and stuff, it's like, oh, this one guy, like, I got a fucking gig in a band because I could play a cryptopsy riff. And they're like, whoa, <laughs> I would like show up to their practice and just play a cryptopsy riff. And they'd be like, whoa, dude, you can play that fast. Damn, dude, you're in. Dude. <laughs> oh, hi. Oh, hi. Yeah. <laughs> like, exactly. yeah, it was the same thing. Um, I think he played, he was just playing Dawn of the Angry. Job was like, oh, sick, you know, we've got a death metal band, you should come and jam. Yeah. That was it. You're in. <laughs> You're in. <laughs> um, so, what year was Psychroptic formed officially? Uh, 99. Oh, cool. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So, we formed 99. I think we started gigging pretty, pretty shortly after, like mm-hmm. at least within six months. We were gigging and then possibly six months after that already recording the um yeah aisle so was all did you and joe have most of the material already laid out before chalky and and did you say cam sorry yeah yeah so we had the songs that we i guess written that weren't that suitable for disseminate um i think there was six yeah six songs on a cassette that we gave cam and chalky and then we wrote, yeah, a couple more once we decided, okay, this is a band. Um, yeah, and then we went and recorded all the songs. I think we recorded 10 songs, but one of the songs from memory, we just weren't feeling it. So it got lost in the abyss. Uh, but yeah, we literally recorded all our material and that was that. You know, it became the first album. What what was the push from you guys going from like the more simpler straight up death metal to be more progressive and technical? What what was that? Was there a band that pushed you? Was there a musician that pushed you guys in that direction? Or Um, I don't think there was any one band. I think it was just getting exposed to different bands and you know trying to expand ourselves as. yeah, as musicians, you know, getting better, you always want to get better on your instrument, challenge yourself. And usually that comes in the form of being able to play more technically 
So as our proficiency level increased, the complexity, I guess, kind of as a byproduct started. Yeah. So increase. when Iowa came out, like, so did that's when did Unique Leader hear like uh, Eric and stuff? They heard that, and then they no, no, no? Um, they heard Scepter. So we the first two albums we self funded. Well, we pretty much always self fund our recording. Um, oh wow! So, wow. so, so we we self funded. Um, Scepter and recorded it, you know, mm-hmm. just from saving money up from gigs, you know, selling aisle, um, you know, as as bands do, you know, you have a band kitty, you build it up. Cool. Let's 99 was the same year that Odious started and no, they 2000. Also... Oh, you guys, oh, okay. I thought, you... well, you guys started jamming together as something else in 99, though, right? Or not? Oh, we... Yeah, we had like a different band. Oh, okay. Yeah. But I was going to say, because I'm just hearing him say it, and it's like, you guys already did Devouring before you were signing. We actually self-funded Devouring, too. Yeah. So it's like the same kind of deal. Yeah. But Yeah. yeah. So Um, how how did Unique Leader find out? How did that? We we sent them a copy of Scepter. Uh, Okay. um, So we sent, at the time, I don't know, 15, 20 promo CDs of the full album just out to labels. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And we're, cause we're all set to just self-release again. Did you make those packages like with all this? Yeah. 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 Did yeah. Whole cross yeah, yeah. <laughs> Girl, here's metal blade. Right. So they're going to check. You don't know who they are. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. We did yeah. that. Yeah. So I want to take it back just a little bit since we're talking about Cali, a unique leader and stuff. Uh, when was the, what was the first Cali death metal band that you guys came across over in Australia? Uh well, disgorge, disgorge. Yeah, it would have been disgorge, um, and it would have been on a a mixtape that uh, our mate Timo made for us. And I I still remember hearing disgorge for the first time. It's like, what is this? Is what is it? Um, I think that's everybody's reaction the first time they hear disgorge. Yeah. Um, oh yeah. Just you know, jaw drops. It's like this is the best thing I've ever heard. This is this is absurd. <laughs> uh, so yeah, it was disgorge, and then you know, yeah. deeds of flesh shortly yeah. after. And yep. then it was like, okay, anything that this record label releases, I that will buy. It. Same for us, man. Yep. yep. Totally. Once you get on that unique leader teat, dude, you're just like oh, yeah. anything. This if it's got that fucking logo on the back of it, I'm I'm I see I'm it in the record store. I'm Guaranteed. buying. It. Yeah, yeah. Guaranteed. I was, I was a teenager in high school and I went to go see like the, the bloodletting one show and it was like two, 2000, you know, and it was like, just blew me. It was disgorging deeds were the headliners. And it was just like, all right, <laughs> like <laughs> world changed after that. Yeah. Yeah. Done. Um, yeah. So every, everything on unique later, I mean, obviously that's, that's why we signed with it because we love yeah. the label. Yeah, totally. Like, yeah, of course. Yeah. You guys fit so nice too. Yep. But at the same time, you 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 stood out as your own thing, you know. It really was not just with Chalky's vocals, but like the, there's something in the psychroptic riffing that the riffs and the drums along with the riffs and yeah. That, I mean, I just want to see. I wish I could see Eric's face when when you guys first sent that fucking like full album to him, and we're like, yeah, hey, good. this is the band that we're doing. Check it out. Blah blah. It's like <laughs> Jesus <laughs> Christ. Yeah. That, that album still like, goes one of the most like it's like top albums in my life. That's been yeah. like, well, oh. 
the way I found out was so when we went to record uh, Devouring with Matt, and so we met Matt, like, and it was the first time we'd ever met him from Decrepit. And, uh, and he, he recorded us like at his place in Santa Cruz and we were like young and all like excited to meet him. And he just like, was like, basically like, this is 2004. And he was like, you have to check out this band Psychroptic. He was like obsessed. He was like, dude, that drummer is like the best drummer. Like he was like, they're the fucking best. Like he like <laughs> totally hyped us up and we're like, all right. I had that like memory. And then also the, like, he was all about the, the, the guitar riffs being super like, like he's like that's how you actually fucking pick like all, like tight with the like this and we heard it we're just like oh shit it's so tight like and then mm -hmm. everything and then so we always love scepter i used to have the scepter shirt you know oh, awesome. long awesome. gone man but i wore that shit all the time back in the day man i fucking love that shit dude so that was fun for me that's awesome yeah i mean listening back to it you know i, I can pick it apart because it's like you know we didn't do it with the click track we Drums yeah. and the first guitar were. Oh, it's so good though. Yeah, live <laughs> doesn't matter. I, yeah, I would not. I would not change a thing. But we're sitting outside. Yeah. You know, it's like we've talked to so many musicians now too, and you, nobody's ever going to be like, "Dude, I fucking loved my record." You know, I love. <laughs> I fucking love the album we just put out. Like That's nobody's right. going to say that, dude. They're always going to be like, "Yeah, yeah, well, there's some good stuff in there, but I wish I could have done this, and I'm going to yeah. do it yeah, like yeah. this next time." That's what. I keep saying this. That's what keeps us in it, dude. That we, blows yeah, my mind. It was not done with the click, that. dude. That that I mean, that just the insane. the tight the tightness of the pick, like it's, picking along it's, with you is so it sounds like so perfection. tight. Yeah, we just, we had no idea what we were doing. Literally, we did we didn't know what we we're doing. We didn't even know what a click track was. We'd only just figured out what drum triggers were, so we used yeah. triggers for the bass drum. Um, so I have a question about that real fast. So sure. I, there, there, there was like a folklore thing and I never, I, I, maybe I asked you on tour way back, I don't remember, man, but I was like, did you use Pearl Eliminators on that album? Yes. Okay, it's true. All right. Yeah, yeah. Pearl Eliminators. Um, That's wild. Didn't play yeah, like that on Pearl, Eliminators? I mean, those are good pedals, but Jesus. Yeah, yeah. Pearl Eliminators on the Blue Cam. Um, okay, yeah. And yeah, it's they're killer pedal. Pedal. I've yeah. still got the pedal. Um, I still. But but you played Axis for a while, didn't you? I played Axis, and I've yeah. recently switched over to. Uh, I can't even pronounce the name. Um, <laughs> I know which one it is. Then yeah, yeah. Zari <laughs> Oh, I don't yeah, know yeah. that is. Sorry, yeah. I just say that. Yeah, I don't know. The Zari um, which are crushing pedals. Now, now we're going down a, a drum nerd path. That's but, all yeah. good, dude. Yeah, we're going to have a little bit of that. Plenty yeah. of times on this thing. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just had to know. So, okay. So, what kind of? I just need to know. Like, so, so, what triggers did you use, and what kind of module? And uh, so, the module would have been a DM four, okay. and yeah, yeah, had the D drum. Um, ah, the red ones. The red ones, yeah, because yeah, yeah. that's what everyone used in the pictures. So I'm like, okay, I yeah, need them. Yeah. Um, okay. And the kit was a Mapex Mars Pro kit. Okay. Yeah. Did you play um, Zildjian's back then or what would you? Uh, not back then. No, not back then. Okay. Um, I would have, I think that would have been before I was endorsed by anyone. So, yeah, I, I would have been playing them, uh, but I would have been playing a whole bunch of different symbols you know so yeah. i've always played zildjian's but you know never yeah you know when you're not endorsed it's like i'm using whatever <laughs> whatever you can get your hands on yeah um, totally. so that definitely would have been 
Zildjian's in the setup, um, mm-hmm. uh, but I wasn't endorsed by them. Have you always done like like a 10, 12, 13 configuration with, with, with your rack toms or what's like your favorite like size configuration? Uh, I, I mix it up a little bit. At the moment, I'm just using a 10 and 12 rack tom. Okay. Um, yeah, just two. Uh, but it changes. Like I, I'll change it up every couple of months. Um, I, yeah. The last, yeah, I actually changed it because I was getting – little bit of tennis elbow or blast arm whatever you, whatever you oh yeah call it. for sure yeah blast um, arm i've never heard that before <laughs> <laughs> yeah blast arm uh, comes sense, and goes yeah. uh, um and if i get rid of that 13 if i get rid of the, the three rack toms dude, as a non-drummer i'm just going to use that okay. as a bl- if i have my elbow hurts i'm just going to say dude i got the blast arm <laughs> master bane doesn't count dude <laughs> <laughs> too soon joel well that could be the blast arm <laughs> Master blast arm. <laughs> Anyways, yeah. Megadeth's got a blast arm. Anyways. <laughs> so um yeah. So yeah, dude. Fucking that's cool. And then uh so I just okay, dude. Just Back tell me your the, symbol setup. Just oh, okay. just real fast. I gotta know. Just last drum nerd. What's your current symbol setup? Just for um, yeah, the current setup. Um all Zildjians. Um <clears throat> I use I, it's quite symmetrical. So we've got two rides, uh, both the mega bells. Uh, and then above those rides, you know, one one each side. I've got um, two chinas, so both orientals. Um, above the ride on my right side, I've got um, X hats, and then I've got you know on the the left side, I've got my main set of hats. Uh, two crashes above them, and then. Uh, a mini Chinese and a splash. So it's not overboard, but it there's enough there. There's enough to get. Are you, done. Are you using the, those same kind of crashes that are like the like hybrids or something like that? Um, I, in that yes, video, you yeah. were using those like with the sparkle drum set. The uh, what was that for? For what album was that? I, I was watching that on YouTube. It was sick. Okay. Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, I, was t- I mix them up a little bit, but yeah, um, yeah. I do I still have one hybrid? Okay. On one side, and then I've got um, just a, an A custom crash on the other side. Oh, sick. Okay. Yeah. All right. Enough drum nerdery. I just wanted to know. <laughs> Sorry, guys. Yeah, I've done it before with the guitar stuff, so you know we need it's it. All good. Yeah, it's about time it's for some drum. Yeah, yeah, I know. Yeah. Right? It's always yeah. been guitar yeah. stuff, and we got a world class drummer on our podcast. I mean. We we got to ask Flo some good questions, but it was a kind Uh-oh. of a, it was a busy episode, you know. We got a few yeah. people on there. Yeah, yeah. Um, exactly. But now that we got you, Dave, cornered, dude, I'm gonna get. How <laughs> do you, dude? I gotta know. That's good. I love it, dude. Um, I, I definitely like switching things up. Um, in terms of what I use, you know, um, the series and the sizes and things like that, just to see what creatively it'll do i don't i mean i don't get too crazy i don't revolutionize my whole setup every week but that might always like keep it exciting oh i got that new thing that i can work into yeah. this and that you know just slow tweaks and see what happens oh what happens if i do this you know what what create what's going to come out differently if i play like this see um, how much i know about drums dude i was like yeah dude that thing dude i got that new thing dude. <laughs> that's that's I'm pretty much it. Well. i'm gonna hit it <laughs> In a nutshell, it's pretty much what it is. <laughs> it's true. Get, I know I got like wood blocks. I'm like, how can I make this work? But it's, like, <laughs> yeah. it's too fun. But I've I've noticed a trend with that whole symmetrical drum thing, like like Longstreth 
has done that a lot, like, you know, with the two rides and the whole, and it seems mm. to make a lot of sense. You know, I've, I've always kind of tried yeah. it and resisted it, but I'm like, man, that makes total sense. To it, it does. It makes a lot of yeah. sense. Um, yeah. I guess within reason, you know, there's certain yeah. things, that, certain habits that I can't get out of. Mm. Um, and that to a degree is going to influence my setup. Um, but yeah, it makes, it, it does make sense to have it pretty symmetrical. Right. So I've yeah. seen that get out of hand and I had a, a drummer friend who would play symmetrical and all the drums on one side were tuned the same as the drums on the <laughs> other side. And I was like, <laughs> no, dude, he was like, but it's all <laughs> it's symmetrical. I'm like, you need more sounds, man. That's the guy. That's the same yeah. guy like vacuums his house three times a day. <laughs> that's OCD. He knows that's exactly sucks. how many right, paper yeah, towels yeah. are left on the roll. Yeah, yeah, but I love that guy. Shout out. No, I just, I'm just fucking around. That, that was my feedback to him. I'm like, you should get some more sounds out of your kit instead of just trying to make everything super symmetrical. Sounds like him. Just put a mirror. He's that's awesome. So, it, it, Dave, if you could name, like, out of all the drummers in the world, doesn't matter what style, like, you're, I don't know, just the top list of your favorite, doesn't matter what number, just who are some of your most influential, influential drummers? Okay. The time? In the, the metal sphere, you know, um, the list is going to be long. It's, it's a long list, but it's going to be similar to, you know, all the names you expect, you know, Sean Reinhardt, Gene Hoagland, um, you know, Flo, uh, Derek Roddy, Kevin Talley. Um, anyone who brought something unique and cool to the style, like all of those players that I mentioned, yep. you I'm hear them saying. and it sounds, they all sound different. Oh, um, you hear their own right, yep. Yeah, so just, just borrowing from everyone. If... If you hear something and you get that chill in your the back of your neck or you the hair stand up, you're like, whoa, okay, I, I need to take that. Mm -hmm. um, a bunch of Australian drummers were very, very influential. Um, Matt Skitz from Damaged. Um, Ewan Harriet from Abramelin. Um They both had a big influence on my formative years. Um and then outside of uh, outside of metal, um, I guess earlier on, anything you can't you can't do, and it's like I was talking to my drum teacher about this the other week. Um, when you hear something and you can't figure out what is actually happening, but it sounds amazing. It's almost like it's magic. It's like, what sorcery is happening? Like, I can't, I can't comprehend what's, what's happening. So I guess earlier on when you're new to the instrument, that everyone's a fucking magician. Cause you're like, I don't know what's yeah, going on. Yeah. So a lot of the, um, the session drummers, uh, you know, Dave Weckl, um, Vinnie Colliuda, um, Virgil Donati, um, a lot of those players isn't he australian virgil virgil yeah virgil is, yeah. australian yeah that guy's insane um, dude yeah he's mind-blowing mind-blowing mind yeah um so these days i guess it's more shifted to getting influenced by 
yeah, as soon as you hear something you don't know how to do, and it's like this this guy's got some magic going on. Um, you get influenced by it. You get influenced by you know, influenced that slash inspired by hearing players who can do something you can't do. So that's still definitely a thing. So the list is always growing. It's, it's there's not a full stop on. Okay, these are the these are the only drummers that are inspiring me, influencing, influencing me. Um, it's yeah. There's the classics that. You put them on the mantelpiece. All these players help me, you know, form ninety percent of my sound. But um, you know, I'm still trying to learn more on this fucking complex, crazy thing. <laughs> um, you were when did you start doing drum clinics? Because I know that you were doing them for a while. Are you still doing them ever? Um, not so much. Um, I, I never aspired to do them. They were. Basically, I, I was offered to do some clinics with George Kalias, who's a, a good friend of mine. Uh, he loves doing them. I don't particularly like doing them. Um, but I was, I was offered to do uh, an Australian tour with him. It's like, yeah, of course. I get to hang out with George and play drums every day. And I just have to do it in front of a whole bunch of people, which was the part that I was very scared about. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was... I never aspired or set out to do it. It was an opportunity that, that was put in front of me. So I was like, yeah, I'll do it. Sure. Um, so the only times I've really done the clinics um, are when a situation like that comes up. Okay, you know, George is coming out. Um, let's do some stuff together. Um, I still teach quite regularly. Um, I really like teaching. Um, awesome. Much, yeah, much more than a, a clinic scenario. Um because you can really get down to the minute detail. Yeah. Of you know, it's, it's, that's what I'm more geared to rather than, um, yeah, you kind of put on this pedestal and there's a bunch of people that are, no, I won't say that. No, this, <laughs> it's, it's not for me. Let's yeah. put it that way. It's not for me. I'd, I'd rather play a gig, you know. Yeah, yeah, um, for sure. Yeah, I understand. Yeah, but the teaching, I, teaching, I love. You know. Yeah, I, I teach also, and so does Joseph. So we love it too. It's yeah, yeah. Would you guys do clinics? Like, is that something you guys are interested in? Or I went to one of Derek's clinics, Roddy in uh, in San Jose one time, and I was like sitting up front, and he's like, da 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 da. Well, there's some other drummers in the house, da 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 da. Then like he had me come up, like on check out his kit and i was like uh like no dude i'm cool i just i'm just like but then he was like come up and i was like all right so i like go up there and i'm like sitting on his kit and i'm like ding, 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 ding. okay see ya thanks guys thank you, you know i was just like no i'm not about to start like doing something you know but it was yeah, funny, dude. yeah. Well, he's a really fucking cool guy you know and Very uh, cool. he's I mean, it's rather that they do that stuff i know what you mean but yeah for me i'm just kind of like yeah, i don't know i don't think of myself that way as like you know like a, a, cl- a clinic drummer i guess i don't know yeah, it's. I mean, you could, either gonna want to do it or not. Um, yeah. You know, George and Derek both, they love it. They kill it. They yeah. love it. You know, it's like cool. Yeah. Do it. You know, they do it every night if they could. I guess um, if you got to try it sometime. Yeah. 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 Like, um, I guess by the end of doing a whole bunch of clinics in a row. Yeah. I was getting into the flow of it a little bit and kind of I was enjoying it. Um, 
to a degree, but it's still like, I want the rest of the band here. I just want to play a show. You know? Do you, do you, do you think you'd feel like less nervous if it was just your clinic and not with, with Roddy there, you know, like, cause it's kind of, um, you know, no, you, no, 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 it's still it's the same. Just, just kind of still the same. Like, yeah. Yeah. I could get up in front of, you know, 10 people and I'm nervous, you know, talking, you know, I can't talk in front of. Uh, oh, I see. Cause you got, yeah. Yeah. Um, so it's, it's not about, it's just, it's not something I'm really comfortable with doing. Uh, I'd rather yeah. a student come in and we try to. I was just going to say, I think they heard that's the second biggest fear is one death to public speaking. Yeah, that's it's <laughs> public speaking is above death for me, for sure. Above yeah. death. <laughs> yeah, it's above death. <laughs> it's, above on, death. it's above death. That's the old George Carlin skit. He, he goes off on that. Yeah. No oh, shit. Really? Okay. He's like, you'd well, rather be I'm... the guy in the coffin than the guy giving the eulogy. <laughs> yeah. Jeez, I get dude. that. I get it. Um, yeah, for sure. But one on one lessons, that's where it's at for me. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, me too. So let's let's take it back to uh, the unique leader situation. We got kind of far yeah. away from that, but yeah, let's hear that uh, that interaction. So you guys sent all the what like 15, 20 packages out to a bunch of different labels. Um, UL, was there any other callbacks? It was a couple, yeah. yeah. Um, but they were the ones who got back to us the fastest, and it was like, sure, we're not going anywhere else. So, like, yep, yeah, let's do it. Um, and there was a couple more that rolled in a little bit after, but it was like, oh, you know, thank you, but we're already done the deal. Because that was it, you know, we just wanted to be on Unique Leader. Was that Eric or was it Jacoby? It was you guys both. Uh, Eric, Eric was the one who got back to us, and I think Jacoby was – we dealt with him for the contracts and things like that. So mm – -hmm. um, yeah, it was it was UL slash Deeds getting back to us. And when you're a UL and Deeds fan, you're like, this is the best. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know, they're the kings. I remember when I first got with uh, with uh, Odious, there was the, I don't know what happened, but there was some sort of, uh, I think it might have been bloodletting you guys were almost going to do or something. But um, oh, yeah, they were like, "Oh, Psychroptic is gonna come. Is it, is it cool if Psychroptic comes and jams at your studio for a while?" Blah blah. Mm -hmm. We're just sitting there like shaking, like, "Oh, I, I mean, if they want to, um, I don't want them to watch us though. If they don't <laughs> like, but uh, there was uh, a that. Yep, it was that was the tour. It was it was um that that vile deeds decrepit odious tour was Psychroptic mm -hmm. was on it. I think was originally, but something no, went through. Shit. Yeah, you, something fell through. Yeah, I just don't think we the visa situation, you know, then um, mm -hmm. is and still now it's so cost prohibitive to get to the states until yep. so yeah. I think it was just a financial thing. It's, you know, we wanted to come 100%, but yeah. When you're already so far in debt before you've got to the airport <laughs> yeah, like, yeah right. totally yeah. <laughs> how long is the flight from there to like la um so from tasmania you have to go from hobart to melbourne so that's about an hour and then you can go from melbourne to la which is 14 hours i think oh really i thought it was long too bad yeah yeah it's uh, not, not that bad it's not yeah if, if, if we're going to 
Yeah, it's it's fine. It's fine. Going I to Europe. Do that. What are those twenty-hour flights? Like I kept thinking. Um, so the longest somewhere. The longest one flight that I've taken was um, Houston to Sydney, and that was like seventeen hours. Huh. Okay. Still not too bad. I mean, we, we was, I don't we know was, why 17 sounds so much longer. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's just one of those things. You always hours. think about the uh, all the stops that usually when you're going overseas and stuff. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's 17 hours, but you got to do a stop here. This is another four yeah, hours. Here, stop here is yeah. another three hours. Yeah, yeah. There's been, I mean, I'm sure like coming from where you guys are from, like you probably have like nightmare fucking travel stories, right? There's been a couple of uh, curveballs. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple. Um, yeah. Uh, I think the worst one was coming back from Russia where we get to the, the airport and it was it was a rough tour. Um, and we're checking in and gets to Joe's flight, gets to Joe. And they're just saying, yet, yet. And we're like, what? <laughs> Um, and we had to go and get someone else to translate it. And basically, his ticket was cancelled and the flight was full. Um, Strange. Uh, what do you do in that so situation? Was, so we it was like, okay, let's just get the fuck out of Russia and sort it out. So we were connecting through, where was it? Finland, Helsinki. So, okay, let's just get to fucking Helsinki. Uh, and then basically we just went to the counter and explained the situation and the lady felt sorry for us. She's like, listen, like, I don't know why it's been canceled, but you have to buy another ticket, but I will give you my personal discount, discount. but okay. <laughs> the, but is, um, it's going to take you three days to get home. So he had to go the long way. Uh, I think. I think I was at home for two days before we made it home. Jeez. <laughs> I was literally like, and it was a one hour connecting because if we had missed our flight, that was three more flights we had to buy. So it was like, okay, Joe, yeah. here's all the tour money. You hang on to it. Spend what you need. Uh, we'll see you in a few days. Yeah. Jeez, man. Uh, and just so probably that, that, be- that small of a, I mean, that big of an adventure probably came from like that small of a, someone accidentally like hitting their elbow on like a delete button or something. <laughs> like, <laughs> like yeah. just ruining no, someone's. Yeah. Weak. Um, no one could really explain what happened. And I don't think anyone cared. They're just like, yeah. yeah. It's like, yeah, there's no ticket. There's no ticket. Yet. Yeah. Yet. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Um, that would that would be up there, but there's definitely been some uh, interesting times and a lot it's never of never smooth. It's never smooth, like coming yeah. from overseas or to another country. It's never like, oh yeah, this is the plan. You're going to get here at said time, and you're good. That's just, I mean, like, this is yeah. what the itinerary says, and you're good. It's like it's never like that. It's always like, oh yeah, that middle flight was canceled, so you're going to be here for a day, and then like you're going to have to sleep in a in a terminal for. 17 I don't know hours. What you're talking and about then dude. I know. Like our I know, flight from was... back from Germany was not like that at all. We <laughs> yeah. They literally said, I think they said when we went up to the, the counter, they were like, Oh, your uh flight is 17 hours delayed. And we're like, uh, Okay, cool. well don't the bus mean... left. So <laughs> I guess they better have some fucking good magazines in this fucking newsstand or I'm <laughs> fucked. <laughs> 
we slept in the term like when we finally got to new york and then it was like all delayed because of the like you know domino effect and we yeah. slept in the terminal there's pictures of us just asleep and there's like the sliding door like to the you know like the drop-off pickup and we're like uh, in sleeping bags like passed out <laughs> oh, man i mean um, i look back on it with nothing but you know uh fond memories and and you know uh, life oh, experiences yeah, but at, at the time you know we were like, like, jesus it's like you're already like you've already been on tour dude you're like on your way home nah, it was like, all fun it was just a rough moment but it was so fun yeah yeah, yeah. It was, it's all definitely good. it was rad. definitely well you're you've been a tour manager for a while now so you're probably pretty good at like booking the flights and stuff at this point yeah, sometimes I'm pretty good at it. Yeah. Sometimes I'm not so good when I miss out someone's flight. Oh, <laughs> um, shit. I've had to do a couple of stealth moments at the airport like, um, hey, guys, I just got to go. And they're like, hey, I need a flight right now. <laughs> um, that has happened. Um, so tour managing uh, was something, again, I did not because I chose to. It was like because I had to. So I was um, – I guess you could say I was a tour promoter, tour booker. Uh, it's kind of all rolled into one for Australia. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, I'd act as the promoter and booker, which um, in other, you know, in the States, they're two separate jobs. You know, you've got a booking agent who then will um, contract the shows with bookers, but because there's, uh, a smaller amount of shows, you know, between five and seven. Um, it's all rolled into one. And then sometimes it's rolled into the tour manager job as well. So you basically do everything. Um, uh, yeah, like a, it's something I really enjoy. It's like a complicated jigsaw puzzle um, while you're trying to juggle balls that are on fire. That's how. <laughs> so it's, it's mostly you bringing bands to Australia. Yeah, me, me and my business partner. Um, uh, yeah, we, I guess at the height of pre-pandemic world, um, we'd do between 10 and 15 tours a year. Um, nice. Wow. You know, um, and quite a variety of bands, mostly in the, the metal genre, you know, because that's what we're into. But yeah, in amongst that, um, I'm the, uh, you know, you're the promoter, you're the, sometimes you're the tour manager, sometimes you're the arranging logistics, whatever, you know, it's anything that needs to get done, basically. Definitely, definitely. That's got, I mean, talk about what's go, what goes into a bringing a band into Australia. Like, I mean, you have to, you have to obviously take in flight, you have to take in, amenities you have to take in all that stuff in um and you know probably not i mean you might be doing i have no idea what bands you're you're booking and stuff but if you're booking like a death metal band like coming into australia like it's you know there's not like a a real big you know there's not a a rainbow with a big pot of gold at the end it's going to be like you guys gotta it's going to make you have to make it work you know it's going to be coming down to the last penny kind of thing um yeah i mean you you go ahead yeah yeah we've i mean we've done I, I guess the bigger bands we've done are bands like Emperor and Dimmu Bouguer and Oh, okay. Um, wow. Yeah. So, you know, medium level bands, you know, quite high profile bands. So, but then, you know, on the flip side, um, the first tour I organized was Deeds of Flesh. Um, okay. And then, 
Oh, so you brought Deeds of Flesh to Australia. Yeah. Okay. I have, there's a soundboard recording of Deeds playing in Australia that I discovered from like, is that 2005 oh, wow. or 2006? And it sounds amazing. That, that would have been from Bloodlust Fest in Sydney. Yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and there was video footage from that show too. It was killer. Awesome. That's awesome, um, man. Did you bring Disgorge over later? No, I didn't do Disgorge. Um, that Chalky actually did Disgorge. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, kind of lost my train of thought. Yeah. But yeah, there's been a, a wide variety of bands I've been fortunate yeah. enough to work with. Yeah. So, I mean, transportation's all, you have to basically do Everything. the whole thing, Everything. right? And there's only probably like four or five shows, right? There's not like a lot of shows, right? Yeah. I guess legally, if you want to look at it from a legal point of view, we are wholly responsible for the artists when they're in the country. Um, yeah. In every regards, you know, right down to if, you know, if they get into tr- trouble, we get into trouble. Um, oh, so wow. If, so it's, it's, there's a lot of risk and there's a lot of planning. Um, but it's what would definitely- be the repercussion of that? Like, let's say, let's say you you bring a band out and they get like uh, I've heard a story. I know it's kind of a more popular band. But I was watching a, um, uh, a, a HBO or something with um, the Foo Fighters guy was like he was on a like a bicycle or, or a motorbike and he was drinking a bunch and the uh, Dave Grohl was drinking a bunch and they pulled him over and he got a DUI and took him to jail. So if that were to happen to a band under your watch what what would be the repercussion in australia for you bringing that band over i guess it would be a knock-on effect like if it um you know financially if it took it out a show then straight away you know you've lost money you know if you lose yeah, yeah. one show on a tour it's like yeah yeah, yeah. That, that's it um legally um I, I honestly don't know i mean if it's something that we did due to our negligence then yeah, okay. of course, of course, we'll be in trouble. Um, I I do know that, for example, if you bring someone in on a visa and then they don't leave the country, you know, um, okay, now you are you are potentially financially responsible for the costs involved in finding the person and then um, <laughs> evicting them, basically. So wow. there's that sort of thing. Um, I I wouldn't. I don't want to speak out of school because I don't really know the answer in terms of legally if someone went and did something. Um, if it was negligence on our behalf, um, for sure, we'd, we'd get um, into a lot of trouble uh, and yeah. we'd probably not be allowed to um, bring any more acts into the country. Wow. Wow. Heard that. So Behave, everybody. Yeah, yeah, there's definitely... Um, you have to be approved as a sponsor. You're, you're effectively sponsoring the person. Um, so everyone in the band, um, you are their sponsor in the country. So you're not trying to bring some band that's like known for being woo, party wacky people. You're trying to be like professional bands over. That um, like, <laughs> I mean, if it's a touring band, you know you, what you're getting into, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. You know that they, they might like to have fun, but... Um, they all it's their job as well so definitely yeah. how's the weed out there <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's pretty good <laughs> nice <laughs> hell yeah do they care about that out there uh it depends who you run into 
Yeah, yeah. It's not it's not legal yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, yeah. It's not one of those uh if you find you find some guy comes over with like MDMA or something, they're gonna cut off his hands and put him in jail for life, right? It's gonna be like just no, no. I guess it depends. It depends. <laughs> but if you're trying to drunk, you know, by the way, you think he lives, dude. <laughs> I'm already drunk, Australia. but I'm drunk, dude. <laughs> Jesus. Well, if you're drunk, Joel, you have good stories of of taking psychoptic out. That I yeah, to that's what we were talking about in the in the pre pod. So uh, <laughs> oh, I the one memory. This, so I hear it. Actually, oh, actually, yeah, since Cam thing. since Cam isn't in your, in your band anymore, can I tell a Cam story? That's uh, very embarrassing. I don't want to. Uh, is he married or something? I don't want to like. Oh, he's married. He's married. He's, married. And he's got kids. So if it's okay. <laughs> okay. So uh, anyway, so we had fun. <laughs> <Free all that. laughs> no, it wasn't like that though. It was a. Uh, Basically, we just got too drunk, and he wanted to like. He's all, "No, I'm, I'm here. I'm gonna stay." We're like, "No, you're, you're not staying, Cam. Like, we have to. You don't know where the fuck you are. We're in the middle of this like state that you've never been into. We had to all pick like us and Vale Maya had, to, and I think Whitechapel was there too. Had to all grab Cam and just like baby him out into this like stretch limo that we had because <laughs> the 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 stretch limo company was the the number one fan or a band that they loved was Whitechapel. So they're like, how many stretch limos do you want? Do you want? We're like, I don't know, like three. I don't know. Like, I don't like, know. <laughs> and so, yeah. So Cam was just like fucking wasted. It was just like, hey, I'm going to stay here, dude, at this, at this party. It's cool. Like, yeah, no, you're not staying here, dude. And he's like, no, I'm staying here. Dude. I'm like, no, Cam, we're, we're going to go ahead and pick you up. We like physically had to assault him and like pick him up and like throw him in the stretch limo and fucking take him back. But uh, one of the, it always comes to my uh like in the beginning that i was talking about was um me and uh dave over in austin texas um <laughs> i feel like it was dave that came with this idea which is like every can that you have you duct tape it to another can and then you duct tape to, like every time that you drink so you basically <laughs> are creating this like cane of beers <laughs> tail of beers this, this, and then literally the at the end of the night i remember me and fucking dave had ones that were like like six feet tall they were like <laughs> Like, I don't even know, like, we, we would duct tape them. We would duct tape them so well, they would, like, stay intact. And, like, they were just, like, at the end of the night, we're just, like, just, like, I remember it was still light outside, and we had, like, at least 12 each. Do you, do you, do you take a fresh one, duct tape it, and then, and then drink it? Yeah. And then finish it? Your fresh one's always at the top. So you always have to, like, drink from the whole. Okay. You have to show off your cane every sip you take. Okay. I've never played this game, but I could totally imagine it. Now I want to play it, dude. It's I feel like it's an game. Australian game. No, no, no. It was actually Sarah, the merch chick. Um, oh, okay, okay, okay. One who introduced us to the game, and we we're like, <laughs> "This rules." We would just do Edward Forty Hands. Anybody do Edward Forty Hands? Oh yeah, yeah, classic. So Dave, Dave, Edward Forty Hands out here in America, we would do like this thing where you have to duct tape two forties of like uh, malt or malt beer to your your hands. And so obviously if you have two forties, you can't, you can't pee or anything. So you have to get, you, can't, you have to get, you rid, get rid of, of them. the bottles until you drink them. You have to drink them both before you can pee. <laughs> Pretty similar. Sounds like an awesome guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I know we've all grown up though. Yeah, I was just you know, shoving was 80 ounces of fluid into your body <laughs> and you can't excavate any of it. dude. It sounds like a sick party. <laughs> That's a good time. Yeah. 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 No, I, I actually, one other, one other quick tour story I have. I hope you remember this. So we used to call you guys constantly the thunder from down under. 
it was like a, a little joke like you guys didn't know because you guys had never been to vegas so we were like on on the way to vegas we were calling you the thunder from down under on, on i was having bill say it on stage we were like joking around and you were like fuck yeah that sounds pretty sick <laughs> like fuck yeah that's like a cool name oh this and then is we got, before he knew what it was <laughs> yeah then we got to vegas and uh we're all it was with carcass i think carcass was there and all, all these like bands were there and um we're all in this like this little like uh, trolley thing train thing and um i'm with a bunch of uh psychoptic guys and carcass and all these people and i like point over to you guys i'm like that's why we're calling you that and it was a, it's basically a male strip I show i remember the billboard dude <laughs> dude and, and, and right when you Vegas. come in dude <laughs> and it was you were like oh no <laughs> you, guys <are> so <laughs> you guys should have even took it even a step further and took them to the show dude. <laughs> i think there would have been enough signage where they would have got it though <laughs> <That was laughs> too far. Yeah, where are you guys taking us here Thanks, guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't even. I, I've never. I wonder if they have like uh, Australian yeah. accents and shit, or they probably don't even talk. They just dance around. Uh, oh, oh, here uh, we go. We got a script. Yeah, <laughs> <dude. Yeah. laughs> That's all. Yeah, that was classic. Yeah. We had fun. Oh, my God. It was so, a fun tour. Yeah, so that was for. Do you guys just have a gig there? Were you playing a fest in Vegas? It was a gig. I think we were just, just doing it. It was suffocation, Whitechapel, Psychroptic, Whale was it near Maya. the strip. Oh, it was in uh, House of Blues, uh, oh. Mandalay Bay. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was. Oh, sick! Uh, That's your spot. Yeah, yeah, it's fucking amazing. It's a great show, great turnout. I, I always, you know, that that's one of my favorite venues. I, that I've ever played for sure. Like that's like you get to walk out. I remember, I think that show, Frank from Suffocation, like because the blood red through or what was the album called not blood red throne what's it called blood Oath. uh blood, blood Oath. and they were like um and frank was all i'm gonna put two thousand dollars on fucking red for blood oath looks like <laughs> just i Jeez. followed i followed him out there and he fucking did it and he won oh, oh <laughs> dude yeah. he had a sick night the re- dude he better not oh well, i mean whatever oh no no he I definitely went and blew fucking... it all but uh <laughs> dude i don't get that dude <laughs> When you double up like that, you fucking walk away. If, you if that's how you start your night, though, you're like you're starting your night on just this two thousand dollars win, dude, and then you go out and have drinks, and then you're like, this yeah. four grand's burning a hole in my pocket right now." But I, I definitely like when I when I think of Psychroptic, I think of I think that was the first time you guys were ever in Vegas. So like you guys were, yeah. you guys were sure. just looking like around, just going like, oh. "Jesus!" Like I know, like what the <laughs> hell is going on? What is this place? And just to show you guys the the town and and go to from um go from casino to casino and watch your guys' faces was was definitely like one of my favorite tour memories still to this day that was yeah awesome. watching an australian band deal with a, with vegas for the first time was awesome man that was <laughs> yeah but it's it's still remember you know you're driving through the desert and there's nothing and then yep. out pops madness in yeah. front of you <laughs> yeah. it is have you guys played yeah. mandalay bay since uh i think once we've only played vegas twice okay okay yeah that's the first the first one the tour that you guys are that you're talking about joel on dave is that your guys first time in america or Um, before that what was the first tour no the first tour was summer slaughter oh okay we did 2008 summer slaughter oh that's right that's right that's right yeah and that was definitely um eye-opening yeah yeah I know that's yeah. that's uh, that fucking because I've done two summer slaughters. The uh, getting there at eleven a.m. It's like it's such a it's such a whole day mental ordeal. Like to get there, mm-hmm. 
Like you're there so early and then you have to be there till so late. And then your next drive is eight hours, you know, like it's <laughs> nuts, you know, like you're just like, like literally like bobbing back and forth by the end of it. You're just, but it's still like, you know, you're playing in front of so many people that you're, you're so thankful and that yeah, you're doing yeah. it, but it's still, it's still like the toughest tour. It's like, you want to, you want to, yeah. If you want to know what touring is like and you want, you want the boot camp, that that's definitely that's it. it. <laughs> yeah. So that, that was our, uh, trial by fire so we were totally green when it came to touring um and touring the u.s is completely different to touring europe which is completely different from touring australia so you have to relearn it every time you go somewhere so definitely definitely so So, i mean what's the what's the biggest difference from uh touring um australia that it is uh, america uh i guess most of the shows are fly-ins in australia um, you, you fly into a city and you might uh, play a couple of, you know, the capital city and some regionals. And then it, it's predominantly done over weekends, um, especially from Tasmania. You know, we, we have to fly everywhere. Um, so getting the van at the rehearsal room and then going out on tour is non-existent. That's not how we learn how to do it. It's like, okay, let's pack re- really lightly and organize all the equipment that we're borrowing and let's go to the airport. Um, so we got used to the, the fly-ins from day one because to, to play any city, we had to fly. Um, so that would be the main difference. You know, as soon as you get to, to Europe, it's all usually done on a bus. So you just turn up, the bus is there and, okay, this is your home for the month. Yeah, you get driven around. Uh, when you get to the states, you go and pick up the van. You're like, "Oh, this is the home for the month," and no one drives you around. <laughs> it's like yeah. there's a date and there's a map. <laughs> See ya. <laughs> Show up. Um, do, you, do you usually have your own drums with you, or do you have drums there that you arrange to be picked up? Um, in Australia, no, I never really use my own kit. It's always a a loner. Um, I'll use my own kit in Melbourne. Uh, and then if we play a show in Hobart, um, Joe has actually got a basically my setup as well because Joe is a fucking ridiculous drummer as well, which is annoying. <laughs> <laughs> I see. Um, in the States, I've actually got a kit uh, that lives with Todd Stern in New Jersey. Uh, and then Europe, it's always um, rental backline. Yeah, so you get used to playing on different equipment. Well, you have to. You, you don't get used to it. It's just you get forced to do it. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You have forced, forced adaptation. Yeah, and, and you've always got, you know, you can blame the, uh, the equipment, always. Oh, I had a shit gig because of, of this and that. It's, it's like, well, <laughs> no, you just had a shit gig. <laughs> So to take it back to the uh, album, you know, timeline and shit like that. So you guys had scepters out. How long, how, what was the gap between scepters and symbols? It would have been probably three years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Most albums, most of it, it seems to take us three years to get the next one done. Yeah. So tour yeah, the gap- support the last one ideas for the new one are coming and then you guys so you know start grinding for the next maybe 
I don't know, two years or something for finally. Yeah. Well, as soon as we've done one album, we start on the next. Mm-hmm. So we're always, oh, yeah. um, we're always kind of writing or, you know, I should say Joe is always kind of writing. Um, and it's definitely a long process that we're just chipping away um, until, yeah, we've got enough material. It's like, okay, we should, it's now time to put the full stop on this writing session and, you know, get recorded and then start again, essentially. So it's not like we don't really allocate time. Okay. For this six months, we're writing the album and recording. It's more, okay, we've done this one. Let's kick around some ideas for the next one and still playing shows in between. Yeah. I think that's um, actually, okay, I was just going to say to end that off. I was just thinking, I think it's better for me personally. I like piecing stuff together along the way versus having a, to, here's a certain amount of time. Here's what I have to do. I have to finish it. I just like to, you know, I think that's kind of how most of us work too. Like just riffs get tossed into a certain area and then you grab riffs and piece them together or you can extend them. All right. Enough about I don't know where I was even going. Yeah, no, no, totally. I totally. cut off Joseph just to say basically everything that everybody's already saying. All right. <laughs> uh, I was just going to say, uh, so the third album, Symbols, was, um, sorry. Um, yeah, it is Symbols. That's, that's not a unique leader anymore. And then after that, you moved to Nuclear Blast. So, yeah, what was like the record label shopping kind of like in that era? Um, I guess we, we have bounced around a little bit um it's not because we were ever really unhappy with anyone you know anyone we've worked with has been we've been first and foremost grateful to be able to work with them it's like oh cool they want to work with us um but then it gets to a point where um maybe someone else seems more excited and more enthused um, to work with us. So it's never really been a, someone's dangling a carrot in front of us. It's more like, well, why don't we change it up a little bit? We're changing our sound up a little bit. So why don't we see what this label over here can do? Um, uh, I don't really have a bad word to say about any of the labels we've worked with at all. You know, there's no horror stories. Um, it's just been, okay maybe it's it's the relationship has got as far as it's going to go so let's dude you're like the chillest dude ever man like (laughs) so like even before we started the episode we're like dude is there any like like things we shouldn't mention or like drama with any things we shouldn't say and you're like no (laughs) and you're like the problems with labels like everyone whines about labels and all the problems and all that and you're just like no no, it's it's cool it's good (laughs) Yeah, I mean, never heard it before, dude. Fucking <laughs> Dave, you're the shit. It's there's always going to be there's always going to be issues, but it's like yeah. they're trying yeah. to do their job. We're trying to do our job. I love your attitude. Both, that's right. <laughs> we're on the same team, you know. Let's not. Yeah, yeah. Um, fuck. If if the album didn't do as well as you thought it was going to do, it's like, well, maybe we. I don't know, maybe it's our fault too. You know, you can't blame everything on you know one entity if there's two mm-hmm. involved you know if something goes really well it's like well 
there's there's two parties here, you know. Um, it's, yeah. It's a business relationship. And, and no one's in death metal to get rich or anything. They're, you know, everyone's kind of just helping each other out because they want to see the bands flourish. They want to see the, the music get out there. They want to, you know, they, they have the the same goal going into it, you know, you know equally as the, the band yeah, does. Yeah. And and yeah. a lot of bands, you know, they, they go into it thinking that they're owed something or that they, they need more money or they, you know, but it's like, dude, if you understand like the actual business side of it and how death metal is not a high selling fucking genre really it's like the fact that this this label and everyone still wants to get your music out is so cool you know like and they want to help fund it and stuff and and uh and obviously like there's 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 little things here and there with it but yeah it's 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 definitely like a cohesive uh coexisting relationship between two parties you know what i mean such a good point dude Fuck yeah. yeah exactly exactly it's it's you work within the um for want of a better word, the ecosystem. You know, this is kind of how it works. You know, um, for better or worse, um, and everyone's out for the same thing. You know, they're not trying to swindle swindle you. It's like everyone wants you to do well. Yeah. Um, and once you acknowledge that, it's like you know that a, a label doesn't re- want to release your album and then throw it in the fucking bin. Right. You know? um, everyone's on your side to do well. Definitely. And it's all about just getting your art out there, dude. It's been like that for me for a long time. So as long as, I mean, that isn't even really the most important thing too, because it's always got to be for you first. But like, if you want to take it the step further, it's like being on a label is just a good way for your stuff to be distributed, you know, and have more, you know, access to it. If you want people to have access to it, that's the way. Also too, when you're younger, you think like, you know, I I get signed to a label that, you know, this there's money involved. There's, you know, cause you you watched all the Motley Crue stories or, you know, (laughs) you like have this kind of preconceived notion of like what it means to get signed to a label. And, and this, you know, underground music, it's not really, it's not the same. They don't have the same goal as, you know, taking Motley Crue and, and making a couple mil off the side. You know, it's like they, they're they're into the music. They wanna they wanna put out the music. You know, it's like that's it's to me cool. that's that's basically like a, a like I've said before. It's like a a zero percent uh, interest loan for the band. Like here you go. This is mm-hmm. you know we'll we'll pay for the recording. We'll pay for the the promotion. We'll pay for marketing. Um, put out a cool product then you hit the fucking road if you want to make money you know that's pretty much <laughs> what it is you know see the go and stack some shelves or go and exactly. back man and then yep. stack shelves when you return so exactly exactly <laughs> it's just it's just a little counterpart to help you out it's just like uh mm-hmm. you, you when you get signed you just you accrue this little buddy it's gonna help you out it's like hey buddy <laughs> <laughs> but uh totally true I like that. <laughs> I think I think somewhere you you say maybe it's your Facebook page. You say like avoiding real work since I don't know whenever you started. Nineteen ninety, so, yeah. So That's... you've you've managed to. I know you're you're like probably one of the hardest working dudes in the industry, but you've avoided quote real work. So you managed <laughs> to make it in some way, right? Um, yeah, I can pay the rent, um, and I, I guess it's I I don't, I don't want to work for someone else, basically. Yeah, um, it, I'm not scared of hard work, and <clears throat> it's hard work is awesome. It's killer. Like getting up every day and being able to work on whatever project it is, <clears throat> project business, whatever. You know, that's a privilege. That's <clears throat> it's definitely not a right. So yeah, 
um, yeah, I'm very, very fortunate to be able to do that. So I'll, I'll work as hard as I can so I don't have to go and take that paycheck from someone else and, and help fulfill their dream. It's like, I've got my own shit I want to do. But yeah, I do acknowledge that it's a, it's a very, very fortunate position I've been able to weasel my way into, so, so to speak. Just weaseling it with the best drumming I've ever heard in my life. Yeah, just Yeah, so how did you get so fast at double bass, like way back in the day? Like, you know, because you talked about influences, but like, you know, of course, like Pete Sandoval and all that, like, you know, we all like were into the fashion, Dave Kouros, like in the 90s, all that, you know. But, uh, and, and Sean Reinert and, and Gene Hoagland and all the stuff, you know, but like, how did you practice? How did you get fast at double bass? Like, how, cause that's like one of your things is like, besides being a great fucking drummer and all the shit you do, so, it's like so unique, but you have really fast kick drums. Let's be honest. I've always loved the sound of fast kick drums. Like, yeah. I think the, the song that definitely changed my life was, well, there's a lot, you know. Hearing um, Do Not Speak the album from Damaged, you know, and you hear Matt Skid's revolutionary. That playing from, it's like 93. Go back and listen to it. It's still crushing. Yeah, I'm going to type it down right now. Do yeah, it. Do Not Spit. Um, it's, yeah, killer album. Um, I was just like, okay, well, I need to play like that guy. Uh, and then hearing, you know, the Morbid Angel staff come through and, Drama um, is just getting faster and faster, um, and to be honest, not really knowing that um, computer editing was a thing with drums. I'm just hearing these albums that were flawless, and I'm like, "Whoa, okay, this is this is this is the benchmark now." Um, I was like, "Well, I have to play like this." That that was it. You know, um, there's no YouTube, so you can't see that anyone doing anything. Right. Yeah. Um, it's like, Tim Young, saying, you know, like that stuff too, you know? Yeah. 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 You know, all that. It was just like, how do they do that? You know, what's going on? Oh, that first hate eternal. Like, yeah. What, what is this Fuck madness? <laughs> it's, it's that magic thing. This sorcery, what's going on? Exactly, um, <laughs> that's the sorcery thing. Yeah. That, that's a great point, man. Yeah. And literally it's like, okay, well, how do you do this? It's like, you, you might send it an email to a drummer. It's like, how do you get fast? And like, it's, they're always going to come back with, okay, you practice. Oh, okay, cool. I'll practice. Yeah. Um, I was just doing it every day and yeah. look, setting these little yeah. goals. It's like, well, I can play this fast today. So right. one yeah. week I need to be able to play this fast. And yeah, um, it, it definitely, the speed increase definitely happened um, in a very short amount of time. As soon as I, just started dedicating the time to it and, and you and you push it with your band practices right that's the thing too, yeah yeah, right? yeah you want to like impress the guitarist a little bit it's like all right it's like, just, yeah especially yeah. once your fucking brother yeah like yeah. your brother's gonna your brother's gonna be on you he's, he has no he's not gonna punches. yeah yeah it was yeah we yeah. definitely he's um, so sick fast yeah. tight. he's ridiculous technique and on drums as well it's it's I've never yeah. heard your brother. Does he has he ever drummed for any bands? Has he ever um, he plays? I mean, his main job is playing drums in a cover band. Like that's his oh, Jesus. <laughs> he oh, plays man. in an 80s cover band. Really? Um, that's nice. Job. And <laughs> he's real sick. 
he's a, he's a legit drummer. Um, there's probably yeah. um, footage of him playing. I think there's some recordings of him doing covers. <clears throat> yeah. He doesn't really play awesome. metal stuff, um, but he's got a great groove. Um, very, very good technique. That's one thing that Joe's got on any instrument. Like his technique is, he just focuses in on the technique, which is, hey, you get pretty good. Coming at you with like a more of a string theory than a, a drum theory. Um, the the basically the the mythological stuff I always heard about Scepter was that like the there was very little drum edits on that. Is that well? It was all analog. We didn't. We didn't. The, the studio wasn't analog. running. Oh shit! It yeah. was. That's right. Yeah. Um, and there's there's a couple of drop ins on the album, but you can't move anything around when it's analog. Um, there's like literally, yeah, taped. <clears throat> it was taped. Went to tape. Um, Damn, that's crazy. we were re- we were rehearsing like five days a week. Yeah, and because me and Joe lived in the same house, like we were very ready um, going into that. That's crazy, man. Um, analog. That's that's. I mean, we actually were were throwing around stuff about like doing analog again, but that's. The fact that you did it on Scepter, is that what did you ever play? Did you play like live or did you do, did you track or how did that go? Um, so I, so there's no clicks on it, it was analog and Joe played guy guitar, which I can't remember whether we kept or not. So possibly one of the guitars is the live guitar that he played. Jesus. Um, but when I hear back, it's, I mean, it's fucking sloppy. It's all over the place. This is definitely not sloppy. <laughs> um, but we, we just didn't know what we were doing. Like, honestly, it was like the studio we went to was the only studio in town. Um, and the studio, you know, we took a few CDs in and Stu, who recorded it, the studio owner, he's an awesome guy, not into metal. He said, oh, yeah, I could probably get pretty close to some of these albums. Um, that was... Cool. Okay. I'll set up over here. And that was it. <laughs> God. Subsequent albums. Um, I don't hear any slop on that album, dude. I, I don't, I don't understand why I'm hearing sloppy in the same sentence as this album. It just, <laughs> it's like, brain. I think of tight when I, I think, think of, of yeah, I think of tight and organic. That's all I think is. That's tight what I'm saying. I mean, definitely organic. Like I can get that because there's no click and it's, it's us playing it. Um, Dude, that album is so tight. It's insane. Like, it's known for being tight amongst, like, Matt from Decrepit is the per- the first person that was like, dude, that's what I'm saying. The picking the on that shit. album sounds clean as fuck. Yeah, the drumming, everything. It's, like, ridiculous, dude. Obviously. It's crazy. You guys did that on tape. <laughs> this is the reincarnation of the, of the Abbott amazing. Brothers. <laughs> um it, I think, you know, subsequent albums, as we learned more about the studio um, and we learned about click tracks and things like, oh, right, you can fucking, you can play along to a metronome, cool. <laughs> yeah. Um, that came with uh, cymbals. That's when we started to play to a click. And then uh, as we've progressed, that's it's, it's kind of gone hand in hand with Joe progressing as a recording engineer. Um, because we've always been very DIY and again, been lucky to make 
careers out of being DIY in certain regards, you know. It's like, well, okay, we're gonna, we've got this money for the band. Why don't we buy the equipment for you, Joe, and you figure out how to record? And then, you know, that 10, 15 years later, that's turned into, okay, he's, that's what, what he does for his job. He's an engineer. That's um, fucking dope, dude. And I, I guess, you know, that it probably comes back to the isolation aspect of Tasmania, you know, yeah. like, not much around. Um, so we did have to do a lot of ourselves and figure it out. Yeah. Cause nobody was going to come over to you guys and show you, you just had to fucking adapt yeah. and, and do it your way. And that's yeah. why you see, so, I mean, we, we had already mentioned that, but it's like the, the Australian scene, it's such a standout scene. And I really do think that it's just because they're just, you guys are just there on your island, far down south, fucking, you know, just. And I was also thinking about there's like other bands too that have done like more popular style metal, like Dan had uh, toured with uh, Parkway Drive. Those yeah. guys are like basically a kill switch engage out there for because they could never get kill switch engage. <laughs> you know, Not yeah, I don't yeah. think that's necessarily the reason why they started as a band, but I think that like, but they've also put their own spin on it too, like stuff that oh, yeah. obviously it doesn't sound exactly like that, but it's in that genre. All I'm saying is everything that I've heard from Australia, including Psychroptic, I mean, Psychroptic is number one for me coming out of there. And, uh, I, I just love everything that's come out of that scene that I, I you know, I, I, now that you've mentioned all these bands that I don't know, I'm going to start digging even deeper back into the nineties with Australia and see, you know, what other kind of gems pop up that I should have been paying attention to. Yeah. I mean, it's always had a very healthy and creative, um, not just music scene, but I guess art scene in, Creatively, there's a lot of very cool shit that comes out of Australia. Again, you know, coming back to the isolation thing, I don't. It's not the the be all end all. I'm not not saying okay, this is the only reason, but um, it's definitely got a, a hand in it for sure. And you know, growing up in this, it's a very. I'm always going to say how fortunate we are to grow up here. It's. Mm. And every time I come back to Australia, I'm just like, wow, we are yeah. super lucky to have grown up here. Um, I can't wait till I can finally visit, dude. It's definitely yeah. a bucket list destination for me. It's uh, it's a special place. And it's so varied as well, you know, um, in terms of, you know, the people, the the, the cultures, the the climate, um, everything. It's, it's definitely, a, it's a melting pot of a, uh, country. What's so, the cra- oh, sorry, go ahead, Joseph. I'll, I'll save that one for later. Okay. Um, just because just you're talking about Melbourne, um, we were talking with Joe Lester from Intronaut a couple weeks ago, and we were talking about Hiatus Coyote and that being oh, yeah. one of his favorite bands. Do you know about that band at all? So Joe's wife um, is very good friends with one of the guys in the band. Uh, okay. I think they, yeah, so I, I don't know them personally, but yeah, Joe. Joe knows them. Um, I didn't realize how popular they were. Oh, yeah. They're huge out here. I saw them uh, sell out Slim's San Francisco, one of the you know most famous venues in America. That was one wow. of the best shows I've ever been to. And yeah, we love them over here. Um, 
And yeah, so that whole neo soul, I th- when you were talking about musicians and sorcery and drummers in particular, I think is it Perrin, the drummer? He's one of the guys that can pull off stuff where I just want to learn how to play that style because of people like him. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's definitely something special when you, you come across someone and you're like, I have no idea what you're doing. That's sick. I need to learn what, what do you got going on over there? Just show me. Um, and finding, you know, bands like that. I'm not very familiar uh, with them. Um, I, but. I, I'm sorry. I meant the Fillmore, not Slim. Sorry. Slim's is pretty small. The Fillmore is huge. Fillmore, That's yeah, the yeah. fucking legendary it's, venue. So yeah, yeah. <laughs> correct. I, I know that they played Red Rocks in Denver as well. And yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, but yeah, Joe is, I think he's, he's friends with one. Of, I, I don't know which one, but one of the, one of the dudes in the band. Yeah. Oh, for sure. Yeah. So oh, I was going to ask, what's the craziest creature you've ever fucking come across over there, dude? And you personal, like you, you're like, Oh shit, dude. I'm, I'm like 10 feet away from this murderous uh, animal. I mean, probably a very poisonous snake. Yeah. Uh, that would be like the encounter that would, you know, it's like this thing could actually kill me if no, no crazy story. Friend, like it, it coming across, you know, I don't know, like a fucking some kind of spider on their neck, dude, or some shit. Uh, I mean, spiders are very common. Common, yeah. yeah. Let's see, <laughs> but like your spiders, I see, I see like a spider in the corner of the room, and I, I just hit it, and it's dead. You got like wolf oh, spiders just, and shit, dude. We just let them do their thing. It's like, okay, you stay there. I'm going to stay here and we'll both be cool. Um, I do that. I did that last night or a couple nights ago. And um, then I felt a tickle on my face and he was running across my face. And then uh, I looked over and it was, yeah, I was like, I was like thinking that it was something else. And I was like, okay, it's just like, I'm to have a little tickle. And I looked over and this huge spider just running across my bed. I'm like, all right, well, I'm going to go downstairs and sleep in on the couch for a while. <laughs> burn, burn the house down, and then I think that. Yeah. So yeah. one actually I mean, spe- specific question going back to out of, out of the spider realm, but uh, so your brother, I know your brother, you know, he's not the most outspoken, you know, he's pretty quiet, <laughs> pretty to himself guy. Um, yeah. Do you think I know that because he's such a phenomenal guitar player? Um, do you think that has a part in how he doesn't like to solo that much? Because he's, I mean, I know your whole band's pretty much like a one solo going on the whole time but uh you guys are all soloing at the same time basically <laughs> but, uh, but uh, in unison but uh i, I noticed that like because i've seen him do like uh, guest solos and stuff for, and, and, and and videos of him doing solos and stuff and he's a phenomenal solo player uh soloist mm-hmm. but uh i've noticed that he doesn't really do it too much in psychroptic is that what, what do you think the 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 purpose was of, of making that decision um I think it was just something we started out not doing, you know, mm-hmm. um, oh, that's a weird phrase. Um, we, yeah, we, we didn't really have an interest. It's like, well, let's, let's just make cool songs um, mm-hmm. and not have this little interlude in the middle for a solo. Like let's just make like a, a cool chunk. Um and as we evolved, it was just it just never came up really. So yeah. I think one song that we do have a solo in, and we had to push him for it. It's like just do a solo, like just <laughs> do one here, right here. Um, 
And we felt like they they was missing, you know. No, it's never missing. I, I, yeah. I somewhat my actually I, I asked a group of friends. I, I told him I was talking to you right now, and he I was like, "Do you have any questions?" They're like, "Why don't they? They need to look. What's up with the solos? They don't solo enough." And I was like, "Well, I mean, I was I went down to go pee just now after you said that, and I was like, I think the whole band is a solo." <laughs> <It's just> like, <laughs> <laughs> We're all just trying to get by. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah, it's. Uh, I guess you would say it now is a conscious decision not really to do them unless mm-hmm. it kind of comes up. But, you know, most of his melodies are almost yeah. solo. Yeah. 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 I thought the solo sounded really good on your songs that I heard, like the new stuff, all the like singles and stuff and all these yeah. Kind of songs. Yeah, it's I mean, uh, yeah, he is a fantastic um, solo. sick to, to me. Didn't he do like a a solo for a band or something i don't know i saw some video of him doing a solo i think he's done a bunch um and he's he's written a whole thrash album where he's got solos all over it um he can write the music but he can't get it to the releasing part you know so he's i'm sure his hard drive is full of crazy stuff that um i don't know how to put it out so whatever um actually he he so many people um, out there that didn't want to hear that because now they're just waiting for that (laughs) <laughs> that fucking computer to crack open, dude. <laughs> I think it did release a solo song, so I think it's it's out and about. Um, yeah, he did. Nice. Yeah. I, now that you mention it, it's like, yeah, he actually did finally release a song. So I think if you search Joe Haley, you can probably find it somewhere. That's awesome, man. No, you guys are basically like the Australian Jarzenbeck, Jarzenbeck brothers in my, yeah. in my eyes. I was guys, actually, uh, to go back to the brother thing, it's like, I wonder what that is because there is so many like all-star brother uh, tag teams, even sister tag teams and other styles of music too. I've heard, I've heard sisters get together and write sick and sick and perform sick music too. So it's heart, like, dude. yeah, it's just art and being under the same roof, you know? No, no yeah, heart, but, the band. Oh. Oh, heart, 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 <laughs> but also heart, 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 heart is art, dude. Yeah, I think it's just a, a very supportive upbringing as well. You know, um, as parents, one, are you always constantly trying to one up each other, like like we were talking about uh, the sibling r- rivalry. Not really. It was no. more like okay, we're playing an instrument, so let's play in a band. You know, um, yeah, it makes it easy. You know, um, as it, it removes the, an element of. Um, communication uh when you play in a band with a sibling you can you can be brutally honest mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but if it's just a friend there's probably you got to hold back about 10 percent. so yep i get it um i could totally see me and vincent just being like nah dude you fucked up the popcorn dude you gotta fucking <laughs> go back and do that again that's the one thing about bands is their, you know, their relationships with four or five people. They're, you know, you have to really hold yeah. them very seriously and dear and their feelings and all that stuff. And you could really bum someone out if you tell something. And if, if you guys are brothers, you could be like, no, dude, I don't like that. <laughs> like, yeah, you're yeah. still my, you're, you're going to be my brother no matter what. So <laughs> at, at the end of practice, you're still my fucking brother. So I get to fucking say whatever I want to you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. That was, that's definitely an element. Um, and, you know, very similar upbringing. We grew up in the same house. Our parents were very supportive. Didn't force music or art on us, but were totally um, encouraging and 
yeah, just let us do our thing. Were so, either yeah. of them that into was... doing music and art? What was that? Sorry. Were, uh, were either one of your parents into doing any kind of music or art? No, no. They're both teachers. Um, so not really artists in any particular field. You know, they, they appreciate it. Um, mm. But I think it was what they didn't do that was the best part they, you know they didn't try to stop us from hey mom and dad i want to make it in a death metal band um, yeah. i'm gonna go on tour to this place and i'm not sure how we're gonna pay for it and is that all cool so yeah just have fun just have fun stay safe nice, dude. So that's it was, kind of how, how my parents were too. My, my dad was he was a bass player and stuff and he was basically just like I told him like you know I was 21, 22 going on the f- first tours and stuff like that and he was like I'm gonna live through you like I've wanted to do that my whole life and uh, I got married too early and I made you know the dad I made these mistakes I fucked it up <laughs> yeah. you can fulfill like, you his destiny <laughs> yeah <laughs> Yeah, so no, he was always very supportive of it in, in that way. But I was like, I remember just the the talk of telling him like, "Hey, so I'm in a death metal band, uh, and and uh, I want to maybe try to do it as a career. I don't know, like I don't know. I'm just gonna go on tour and see what happens." And he's like, "Fuck yeah, just just Sick. fucking you know, right now is the perfect age to do it." That's what he told me. He's like, "You're in your early 20s, just give it a shot, man. Yeah, you'll have a chance to bounce back if you fuck up too hard." Yeah, exactly. Which it took took a few years, but I bounced back. But <laughs> <laughs> I'm still trying to bounce back. <laughs> so you guys, your last album was 2018. 2018, yeah, yeah. So yeah. that means that it's three years have gone by. You're doing this three year magical it thing. Does. So what's going on? Uh, the new album is getting mixed at the moment. Oh shit! Yes. So it's done. Fuck yeah done yeah so we we put out two songs last year like um oh that's right as a a, a digital we pressed it on vinyl as well but uh more a digital like a single um well two tracks ep whatever i think um you know for a couple of reasons um it was more to keep us enthused just something positive because everything yeah is, <laughs> yeah because of everything mm-hmm. um and it was just something cool. Okay, you know, we've got these tracks. Not sure whether they fit on the next album. Um, let's let's just put them out. Um, I think because these days we actually track in chunks. So usually I'll, I'll track three songs at a time. Usually, say a month apart. Um, so. I've found for me that's the best way to get drum takes that I'm happy with, songs that I'm happy with, um, and keep the ideas between the songs fresh as well. You know, I'll have them, I'll tr- you know, focus on three songs, track them, <clears throat> um, have another month to work on another three songs, uh, refine them. So we were actually in the process of doing that when everything shut down. So we had these two tracks that I'd, we'd started for the album. Um, and they turned out pretty cool. So we're like, let's, just, let's just put them out there. Like, Where are you recording them? Uh, those tracks I'd recorded in Hobart. So Joe okay. freelances uh, in a particular studio. So we tracked the drums there. And oh, okay. um, 
he he tracks everything else in his home studio. But um, <clears throat> drums we use in a bunch of different studios. Um, but for the upcoming album, actually, I'm doing this from the control booth of the studio that we use. So, oh nice. The the warehouse where I've got my room has also got a recording studio in it. Uh, which makes it very convenient. So while everything was locked down, I could still track drums. So oh, yeah. um, we did that here. So this will be the, the, the next album will be um, the first one that um, we've used this particular studio for, for the drums. So you're doing those, those, those three song chunks, you're doing it in that studio, but you're keeping those, those tracks every three songs for the same album or are you going to do all one yeah, no, big no this is this is the album so we actually tracked the drums for the album in uh i think it was october november december okay so a month nice. apart nice so i finished my drums just before christmas uh and then sent it down and then joe does his sorcery so joe and pep live in the same city so um they can work very closely together. So what would you say like the, the progression is over, you know, from, from scepter all the way to, you know, as, as the kingdom um, drowns, like what, what would, where's, where's the direction that Psychroptic is going? Because I, I do feel like there is like a common theme of you and Joe's riffs and, and, and camaraderie together. But I do feel like there's like a, there's constantly something that's different or you're pushing it a different way is there a certain kind of style that you guys are leaning towards from going from scepter to, to you know as, as the kingdom drowns or yeah uh, it's it's never really been too much of a conscious decision where we go with it um and it's almost like you know we take the album before and we add you know 15 20 new stuff and that's where we go and then wherever and then you know that'll take us to the next album and then so it's it's been pretty natural. You know, we've never said, okay, we have to play like this. Um, mm. We might, you know, for a particular production thing, we might say, okay, this album is killer or this particular part from this band, you know, um, that would sound cool with this riff. Um, so definitely inspired by other stuff, but it's not like, okay, we have to play like this. It's, it's, let's see what happens with the riffs. You know, let's, um, yeah. Joe, will, Joe will send the skeletons of the songs over. And over time, they've gradually gotten more and more um, uh, involved with the demos. Um, mm-hmm. And that's kind of how stuff evolves. You know, he'll send it to me. I'll work on songs and, and might say, okay, this, you know, maybe we can change the tempo of this song, you know, mm-hmm. increase it or decrease it or, you know, maybe get rid of this bit or uh, he might just have a placeholder riff uh, and then once I track drums that'll help um, guide where the song's going to go so yeah there's never there's never a formula how we do yeah. things so we're always kind of changing it uh, just to keep ourselves interested really I'd yeah. say at the end of the day, for, it's for selfish reasons you know we just we always want to hear. Yeah, we always want to be stoked with the band. You know, we always want to be doing something cool and be like, "Fuck, that's yeah, that's the best thing we've ever done." Like that's that's what we want that feeling at the end of every album. Um, yeah, and yeah, I've been lucky enough. That's that's what I feel. You know, 
other people are not going to agree with that because they're going to have their favourites. Um, but uh, I kind of like the feeling of, okay, this is the best thing I can do at this point in time. And that's the that's it right there. Yeah. So it's like a, it's a, it's a, it's a time capsule, so to speak. Yep. Just encapsulating so, yeah, exactly where you are at that time and how you're feeling at that time and what comes out yeah, of it. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. So, again, it's just we're fortunate to be able to still be stoked with it. You know, we don't have anyone breathing down our neck saying, no, it's got it. You have to make it sound like this. No, you have to replicate that. It's like the labels have always been like, just once you're finished, just send it over. Yeah, okay, yeah. cool. <laughs> Sick. Um, which is, you know, the best. It's yeah. cool. Um, what was the last tour that you guys completed? Probably would have been a US tour, the US tour that we did. Um, that would have been the last full tour we did. Um, I think that was mid to late 2019 from memory. Okay. Um, and we were preparing to come, we, like we were supposed to come back to the States in April 2020. That, that was the plan. Um, because we get one-year visas, we have to squeeze as many tours out as possible. Um, and that was the plan. You know, we were supposed to do another two tours on our visas before they expired. Um, but, yeah. So you guys can't really plan until everything opens back up because you said Australia is kind of locked down right now, not allowing people in well, and out. So you- life is pretty much normal within the country. We actually announced an Australian tour on Monday. So I've got um, you uh, know, it's a tour, um, but six shows, you know, we're playing shows. Um, let's see how it happens. You yeah, know, let's yeah. see what um, Any Cali Death podcast fans in Australia, let us know. And go to these shows and then film us it. Up. Tell us how it is. Yeah. We'd be we'll sick. be rusty. We'll be a bit rusty. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, awesome. yeah, actually, just before this, I was jamming a few songs. Um, yeah, there's a little bit of rust <laughs> cleaned off, shall we say. Definitely. Do you have any uh, plan? Is there any kind of like, anything in the works for getting back to the States or is or, or Europe or is there anything? It's just kind of uh, until things open back up. Yeah. Yeah. The honest truth is it'll be later than most bands, you know, just because we, we it has to be com- completely or as best as it can be, you know, secure in the way that secure. Uh, and by that, I mean, the dates will happen because it's yeah. such a financial commitment. Mm-hmm. You know, we just can't turn around and come back. You know, you, we drop. You can't, you can't throw a date out there or throw some random tour that might not happen because you guys got to put fucking money out there to to get out anywhere. Yeah. yeah, you know, we're dropping fifteen twenty grand before the first show's even been played. So, Jesus. um, it's financially that's you know that's we're restricted to that. So we have to see a whole bunch of tours happen and them happen successfully and, and just know what the landscape looks like. It's, it's such a cliche phrase. Let's see what the landscape looks like, but well, I'm, we I'm, do. Seeing, I'm still seeing yeah. tours get postponed and canceled and shit that it's are crazy, supposed to be happening yeah. this year. Yeah. It's you just not, don't know. You just don't yeah. fucking know. 
Yeah. So the plan is um, we will, as soon as we finish the, the album, we will start on the next one. So, uh, and there's already ideas. Um, so the gap between albums is going to be shorter. Um, so we'll, we'll stay productive. Is there any kind of a release date that for the new album? No, no. Um, as soon as it's submitted, it'll be X amount of money, you know, probably submit six months after that. So there's no pressure at all from the label. They're just like, yeah, yeah just let us know when it's done. Yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah. we're getting to the the final stage. I guess this is the part I like when everything's coming together. Okay, the mixes are happening. Okay, there's the, the preview of the artwork. Okay. Um, everything's just starting to come together now. So definitely. Um, yeah, very excited for this one. It's um there's some different stuff, but it's good. Still still us. Nice. 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 And yeah. uh okay. besides Psychroptic, I know you play with a bunch of bands, like you've already mentioned a few. Uh what other projects besides Psychroptic are you working working on or working with these days? Um so Werewolves, which is just outright brutal death metal that's the only goal of that band is just yeah just brutal death metal um that's probably the i guess in terms of the output that's probably the most productive band um we've got we just released the the second album earlier this year we've finished already finished the fourth album and I've got the material for album five and six that I'm working on. So holy shit. So album three will come out hopefully January next year and then we'll see. So there's there's lots of death metal from werewolves. Um so you're not tired of playing death metal drums yet. No, it's pretty it's pretty cool. (laughs) That's what I like. I I, I like the absurdity in a band like werewolves. It's like just play the most obvious thing straight away so as soon as you hear the riff it's like that needs to be a blast beat at 250 beats a minute um that's very (laughs) yeah and it's like bang 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 bang. um uh so werewolves um a bremelin is another band i'm playing with um again working on new material at the moment um the amenta uh, oh yeah we toured them yeah yeah yeah, yeah. So we've actually got some live shows coming up nice um, so that'll be fun um so i've played with those guys on and off for quite a long time mm-hmm. um ruins it's a, a black metal band that i play in and we're all quite lazy um there's a lot of new music that I have to learn and record very soon. And I feel like I'm very behind schedule. Um, but yeah, yeah. There's a couple of other things in the works, but nothing. Is that a more traditional style black metal or what kind, what genre uh, or subgenre? I would say it's um, older school influenced black metal. Um, so Celtic Frost mixed with Satyricon, Immortal, that sort of nice. stuff. That's yeah. with Joe also, right? Uh, Joe plays live guitar. Oh, okay. Bands, but um, it's just old mates from Tassie. You know, we're all grew up together and 
we kind of use the band as a excuse to all hang out pretty much that's why we use the that's what we do for the podcast no nope. sick <laughs> <laughs> you said there was 200 people at your school and you got all these musicians that are from the you know where you grew up and shit it's like even though there's some little people it's it's just like a concentrated like there's more there's a lot more people than you would think like my I, there's 40,000 people in my town there's only three death metal heads you know <laughs> and you well, just mentioned like three five guys from the same Tasmanian town that you grew up from well not all of them so it was me and Joe oh, okay. in this particular town and then we moved to um the big city oh yeah yeah, yeah. we've that's Hobart, you so, mentioned okay yeah so it's about 250,000 people so oh, okay. still small you know um you you kind of know everyone in the scene, um, you know anyone in the same I guess year range, you know everyone's playing at the same venues, and it doesn't matter stylistically what you're into. Like you all know each other because you're playing gigs, and that was that was the cool thing about it. Um, I think that's probably how a lot of other influences crept in because we we just go to everyone's gigs, you know, and the local bands, you know, they're all influenced by the bands that they're into. Um, so by default, you're getting exposed to a whole heap of different musical styles outside of metal. Um, and it's all, you know, very natural. So it was a cool city to grow up in. Definitely, definitely. So, I mean, in Hobart, was there like a metal venue that you guys all gravitate towards? Was there like a spot that would go out, like had all the shows or just be at um, random places? There was really only three venues. So not, not metal specific at all. Like that was just the venues. Um, yeah. yeah. And everyone went, you know, you, yeah. there was bands playing on the weekend. So you went along, um, which so is killer. You, you guys are you've mentioned weekends a bunch so you guys never like during the week it's not a thing out there right you guys are just weekends yeah not so much i mean for local shows you want to play on a friday and saturday night obviously yeah um, when you do organize um you know for example if i put my promoter hat on and i'm bringing a band from overseas it's like oh, okay yeah. you, guys are, you guys are playing every night because <laughs> there's massive hotel bills <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, and and the, the punters are used to it. you know the the crowds are used to it um, because that's yeah. what happens you know the local bands will play Friday Saturday night and then when whatever band comes through town um, it could be a Monday night you know if Dimu's playing in town it doesn't matter you know everyone's yeah, yeah. coming so definitely um, I think it's that's generally how it works in most scenes around the place. Do you guys? I mean, here in the states and stuff. I mean, it's been more of a thing uh, with promoters and stuff. But do you guys have bands do like pay to play kind of things where they have to sell a certain amount of tickets? But you know, that's no. not a thing out there. You no, guys it's are not really ahead of the curve, <laughs> <laughs> ahead, behind, across, adjacent, whatever. Um, <laughs> the support bands, you know, obviously, if you're bringing out a band, and I, and I've been in both positions where. Okay, we're the support band, so there's a hundred bucks available in the budget. And then I've been the promoter, and it's like, sorry guys, there's only a hundred bucks available. You know, so yeah, I, yeah. I know what it's like, um, and it just comes down to that's just the financial reality of it. You know, um, yeah. 
it's unfortunate, but it's just how it is. Just how, it's how it is. is. Yeah. Yeah. But the, the pay to play thing doesn't really, doesn't exist. Yeah. Uh, there would be something slightly similar where it's not really pay to play, but okay. The band would say, okay, well, here's, here's some tickets. You don't have to sell them, but if you do, you get a cut of the sales. Um, oh, okay. But it's not a strong arm tactic where it's like, you must sell these tickets or you don't play. It's like, hey, do you want to earn an extra 500 bucks? If you want, go and sell these hundred tickets. God, um, that sounds amazing <laughs> compared to here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I guess the States, well, it's a little bit more ruthless in all aspects. You know, everyone's Definitely. trying to get that slice in every link of the chain. Uh, yeah, um, the uh, you know merch rates aren't a thing out here. Oh yeah, yep. Um, merch cuts, yep. Yeah, um, just those little small things. You know, it's it makes it slightly easier. Yeah, exactly, exactly. There was well, time fuck yeah. to get around that. Yeah, I oh, mean we. I mean yeah, we, we became to, expert. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we had two we notebooks. <laughs> We would have two notebooks, one with the with the actual sales that you guys made, and one notebook that was basically that told us what to go. It, we had to go replen- We had to go replenish the, the the merch that was in the the van. Come bring exact those exact amount of shirts back in, so they don't when they recount us out that they don't charge us on them. Yep. <laughs> like, I mean, it's you're already struggling enough, and you're and you're, you're making you know three or four hundred bucks a night, or you know exactly. four or five hundred bucks a night, and you're traveling every night, and then. Um, and then they take a cut of your merch. You're just like, Jesus, man! Like, what are you gonna take? Like, you have to get taxed on our gas for coming over here now. Like, what's what's coming next? You know, it's like if I have to live on granola for two days straight, dude, I'm gonna fucking try and figure out how we can make some extra money on not paying the fucking merch fees, dude. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, that was the, the, we learned that on the first day of summer slaughter. Like when someone come over and said, "Oh, the merch rate's twenty percent." I'm like, what? What is that? <laughs> Someone like had to from Australia, right? <laughs> like, yeah. Someone had to explain. Oh, you know, you, you have to pay the commission. It's like, uh, no, I don't. You watch. <laughs> yeah. In Canada, they check your merch at the at the border, and then oh, they yeah. tally you out on the way back into the states. Yep. Oh, they yeah. Sure. 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 And, uh, well, you can only really because the first drums one. were Casey's drums were a lot heavier going into Canada. <laughs> yeah, I don't know you're talking about almost stuffing. Yeah. Big drum. But uh, I wanted to say that, like, I, I, dude, Dave, I just wanted to thank you for coming on, man. And like, out of all the drummers, like, I mean, like, you're like in the top list of people that I've toured with that I like respect and I think are like the best drummers in the world. You know, you know. Thank honestly, you very much. Dude, I've very much. just been like, oh man, I got to tour with Dave Haley, dude. You don't even know, you know. Dive, <laughs> dive. dive. Yeah, but you guys said that on tour. You were like, oh, like you just like it's like dive highly. You just take it's like the- diving off a board. It's like you're diving. You're diving into a a, a yeah. dive highly. You got to yeah. dive highly, dude. Well, so what if gotta dive-, dive highly if you're gonna miss those rocks, yeah. dude. That's a good one. <laughs> dive dives into the pool. You're like well, dive dives into the pool. What do you mean? Like you know, it's like oh okay, I got it. <laughs> but dude, seriously, man, like you know, like flow and all the different people like long stress i've like toured with or seen like you're like at the top of that list or like in that list of like the most insane drummers i've ever fucking seen or had the pleasure to tour with you know so it's uh, very much appreciated um 
Uh, and it means a lot. You know, I'm always going to say, oh, it's, it's all smoke and mirrors. It's all. <laughs> yeah. I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> yeah. But no, I, I do appreciate it a lot. Yeah. Definitely, man. I, I appreciate you taking the time out and, and uh, jumping on this with us, man. I, I really do. Um, you know, listen to, I listened to some psychoptic. Uh, I told you when you were texting me, I was like listening to you guys again. I'm like, fuck. Yeah, you guys were like, too, like basically like to today, dude. When I got signed to when Loving I it. when I was with the Odious Morning, we got signed a unique leader. My like I was like, do we get to play with Psychroptic and Spawn of Possession? Those were like the two bands I was like, like I was like, yeah. what the yeah. fuck? Like that's like yeah. that was the that was the summit of Unique Leader Hill, you know, like yeah. And and man, I, I really appreciate everything you've done for the scene, everything you fucking and so many people bring you up all the time as as their biggest influence uh, influence for drums and stuff and and it's for a reason man you're just keep it going man keep keep those fucking tunes coming man and yeah it's, i mean it's too late now I'm, I'm already down this path i'm <laughs> yeah. you might as well you're too deep man <laughs> can i can i i want to share this uh facebook post that psychroptic reshared uh in honor of joe <laughs> lester the oh, <laughs> No way. <laughs> the original. And yeah. <laughs> just shout out to Joe man. Lester. And the, out. Uh, Check out yeah, the YouTube yeah. video if you want to see that image. Albums <laughs> with the wrong YouTube, wrong band name on. That's not oh, actually yeah. what explain this is shared Joseph, from. Explain it again, Joseph. Joe Lester is part of a group. Joe Lester from Intranet is part of a group that does these sorts of uh, like photoshops. And uh, this isn't associated with that particular group, but... Uh, uh, it's actually called Springfield Albums who shared that. So uh, maybe check them out too. But anyway, just I, I want to second everything Casey and Joel have said about Psychroptic and your drumming. Super huge influence. Um, I learned a lot of the Observant album on guitar as well, which was a huge oh, wow. thing for me as an aspiring guitar player at the time. So definitely have some old videos of, of me playing that stuff, which I should go look up and see how shitty I used to be. But <laughs> Anyway, yeah, just just always been a huge fan. So yeah. No, thanks a lot. It's I, yeah. I can air drum all your shit, dude. And I can air guitar <laughs> me, all Joe's shit. Dude. <laughs> and I'll, skin coffin is the sickest song of oh, all time. I'm just gonna coffin. fucking say it, so okay? Good. There it is. Yeah. It's, uh, it's, yeah. It's, We're just trying <laughs> to get by. That's all we do. Just <laughs> trying to get by. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. I love the Dave's yeah. Dave's one of those humble motherfuckers yeah. that won't, you know, he's still progressing. He doesn't, you know, he's one of those people like, ah, you know, I'm I'm good, but you know, like it's like but you're the best in the world. Okay, <laughs> fine. Um <laughs> well, we're just blessed See, to have reaction. and all these amazing other musicians come on totally. the pod. So yeah, dude. Totally. This is another pinnacle, pinnacle podcast for me personally, and I'm sure for the rest of the I just resident homies. I just can't believe I got to tour with you guys. Like that's like that was some sick too. It was sick. Yeah. Had a good time. That was fun, man. So much fun. So, so Fuck, yeah. such an honor, dude. We lo we love you guys, man. Right on, guys. So we should probably just wrap this one up, right? Mm -hmm. I think two more hours would be cool. Good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> cool. Right. Where can everybody buy uh, Psychroptic gear? Oh yeah. And I mean the sales. Yeah. You guys got a band camp? Uh, the oh. band camp. You go to the website. Um, you could go to in the states. Our merch is through Night Shift Merch. Um, nice. In Australia, it's through my company, which is Direct Merch. Um, it's out there. Use Google. You'll find it. Sweet. Nice, man. Right on, guys. Well, thank you very much, Dave. 
Thank you, resident Thank you. homies, for spending another Thursday with me. Thanks to the subscribers. If you haven't, hit that subscribe button, the thumbs up, the bells, and all that whistles and all them shits. Get the five-star ratings. And we love you guys. We'll see you guys next week.